Hello, this is the audio-only version of the Council on Future Conflicts. If you prefer video, please join us on the Future Conflicts channel on YouTube. If you'd like to watch the show live and participate in the chat, the show begins at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, as well as a special Saturday evening show at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, sharing our show with friends, and reviewing us on your podcasting app of choice. Now on with the show. All right, and we are live. Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, this is uh, I'm Scott McCullough, and I am the host of uh, Future Conflict. We're uh, live with the council and some special guests today. We've got uh, uh, Lord Miles Rutledge. Hey and, guys, uh, and Roman. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, you know, you guys have got a really interesting story, and. Um, you know, we uh, we all got to travel to these places that we see you going uh, on the government's dime for the most part. Um, so it's really interesting to hear about you guys have a totally different way of interacting with the world than than what we did. So I'm really interested in that. Um, you guys also seem really based and uh, and very uh, down to earth. So, you know, you guys have a good take. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't suffer fools lightly except for yourselves, of course. So uh, I think uh, I think that's a uh, I think that's a good uh, you don't and you don't take yourself too seriously as and as Ron you know smirking over there can you can see we don't take ourselves seriously either here we we like to think that we talk about serious topics in a very unserious manner. Um, that being said, uh, we're really uh, lucky to have you guys here, and uh, let me just kind of uh, turn it over to you to introduce yourselves. Thank you. So I'll go first. So my name is Lord Miles. Lord, because I faked it on official government documents. What I did was was uh, I came across a title online that you could buy a lordship, a certificate, a little gag gift. So I decided to buy it, you know, just for fun. Then I realised it actually looks incredibly realistic. So I had the genius idea to put on a suit, walk into a bank when it's busy so they couldn't turn me away because, you know, they were too busy and then um just asked him to put it on my bank account because uh, you know fancy certificate and fancy suits and then suddenly um it was on my credit file i became a lord officially and then i became well known online by going to afghanistan on a holiday during the fall of kabul as you casually do <laughs> yeah i think that's the first time you kind of came up on my uh my radar uh you know the uh, the fall of kabul so why don't why don't you kind of talk about that and 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 how you got into this whole idea? Of, I mean, you know, I guess you could call this adventure tourism, uh, or 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 do you have a more journalistic kind of uh, ambition towards your uh, trips? Because your 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 walking talks, for instance, in Ukraine are very informative, and just you know, you're not getting into some of the higher level events. You're just kind of talking about the what it's like on the ground. So I, I'm kind of curious to see as to what was your motivation and, and how you kind of have developed this since then. Oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, well, when I was first in Afghanistan, I went there partially because of fun. I wanted to do a little bit of charity work to so hand out some money. I just wanted to explore. I mean, British people are known for that. When, it, when, when I was actually there, I noticed as things were collapsing, the media was misreporting on pretty much everything. And that gave me the idea. Hey, um, it seems like I've gone popular in Afghanistan, seeing everything that's going on from a normal perspective, you know, very down to earth, very honest, because I have no bias um, on this stuff, like the media. So when I went to Ukraine with Roman, um, 
I, I saw the media lying with certain things. They were saying with their right of the front lines, as I saw them report live outside the hotel room, 20 miles away from the front lines. So um, I realized now there's a market where I can just report on the ground from a normal perspective. And as long as I'm transparent and honest, um, people will tune in and like it because there's no lying, there's no filter, there's no bias that you see nowadays that everyone dislikes, really. Yeah, we've, uh, I, I know I can probably speak for everybody here on the panel that we've seen so many reports where we knew exactly where the people were reporting from and it was nowhere near the action, nowhere near any kind of danger. Uh, you know, Ron, you know, the, the, the idea of the uh, reporters reporting live from the green zone uh, in Iraq comes <laughs> to mind uh, as probably one of the safest, uh, you know, wartime reporting jobs ever. Well, we've sure. we've seen examples of the of the reporters during Hurricane Katrina reporting, you know, in the floodwaters, and people are walking around them out of camera range, out of the camera soda straw. But yeah, it's it's hilarious, and um, but they they put on the airs, they put on the the fancy uh, blue Kevlar jacket with press, which makes a great aiming point, and their poorly poorly seated helmet, and and they report very earnestly. But here's the thing that that you you sort of alluded to, Lord Miles, <clears throat> is uh, it's gonna it's gonna take me a while, okay? You know, it's I'm gonna have this revolutionary revulsion in my in my uh, in my is you know that the media wasn't reporting what was really going because the media isn't doing its job anymore. The the media is basically waiting for the press release from pick pick your government public affairs office um, pick your press secretary what you know and and that's what they report that and based on what their producer back in in london or new york city or or singapore or wherever they're headquartered at is going to is going to tell them that this is this is the agenda we need you to accentuate mm -hmm. but I, and it's so I, I do appreciate you going in there with without prejudice, although I've never met a human being yet without prejudice or, or preconceived notions, but good on you, you know. Um, Thank you. Maybe, maybe after Lord, you can move up to sainthood. I, I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's, it's all. It's, <laughs> Thank you. Know, I'm, well, just, I'm, just, I'm just pulling your chain because, you know, I'm, I'm half into my bourbon. So, you know, um, <laughs> you know, so I think the best I know part is um, that, that thing that you were just talking about, Lord Miles was, uh, these reporters, you know, they get they're all hunkered down and they got on their helmet, and they got on their fancy vest and they're they're talking so intently to their microphone. But if you look over their shoulder, there's someone ordering Starbucks behind them and, and another dude walking their dog. And you're like, bro, <laughs> you know, we're near the oh, actual fighting. No, that happened to me when I walked out my hotel, I was staying in this budget hotel right next to Hilton in Kiev. And even then, Kiev wasn't too much of a hotspot, like with Kharkiv and Donetsk and all these other places. So when I walked past them, I overheard the classic words of we're on the front lines, blah, blah, blah. And as I walked past, I walked past in frame and audibly said, um, you know, even the amateurs are here whilst I was live streaming. And I got the deadliest looks from all these uh, media reporters trying to pull this facade over the general population. It's ridiculous. Um, it's, um, you know, they won't put themselves in actual danger most of the time. They just want a cushy job. Um, Exactly. Um, exactly how the meme um, betrays it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I guess what it comes down to, you know, what we're kind of keying in on and I think what you're keying in on is there's so much, you know, fakery, you know, 
uh, afoot, you know, in these war zones and, and, and the grift is real, right? Um, now, that being said, uh, you have your own grift. Let's let's uh, let's talk about your uh, GoFunder real quick. Um, so you are gonna you're you're looking to do more trips and to kind of bring this uh, uh, you know to other places and whatnot. So what what's uh, what's going on with your GoFunder? GoFunder exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's like funding my suicide, really, um, in some regards. Um, so I've got a trip planned that's going to be quite next level stuff. And with a former CIA person here, I think there's quite a bit of concern. So it's going to be flagged up somewhere. But I um, <laughs> I want to go to a country that many have moved on from. And I want to do some amazing things there as well as film the entire thing with very little filter on actually why I do and what's going on. And I want to account for all the ins and outs of the money like I've done with all my other trips. Um, and then from there, I want to become... I know a better version of the early Vice News, if you guys remember how good that was. Um, I'm just hoping I'll make that happen, really. Well, I'll be honest with you. The early Vice News is exactly how I got plugged into the Maidan protests and the, uh, the you know, all the, the war that broke out in 2014 and, and all that. So, I mean, yeah. you know, I think it's I think that's very cool. Thank you. Uh, we got a super chat. So we you know, we have a rule here, guys. Um, if it's $5 or more super chat, I'm going to bust right in and, and interrupt you. Um, now, you're my guest, so I may not do that uh, as rudely as I normally would with, say, you know, one of the guys on the council. But Cesario uh, <laughs> uh, JPN for $5 says, so when will Count Nankula bestow absolute mad lad on Lord Miles? Now, has I he, think he already has. I was gonna, he did. He, yeah, yeah, so he, he did. Already, on, go ahead. Yeah, so he did it on the second channel um, because he was just entertained by what happened. And he was a genuinely amazing lad when I spoke to him. Um, he, I remember him saying in a previous episode, he only does mad lads for people who are dead or people that are out of the public spotlight at the moment, you know, inactives. People have gone past um, you know, the event of curiosity. But I think with what I'm going to do with this big trip coming up, I think it may tempt him to say, um, to actually make another Mad Lads video. the first thing. Well, you know, the, you, you, of course you show up wearing a plate carrier there, right? You know, so uh, so that gives you instant credibility to uh, to a guy like Count Dankula, you know? I mean, no, no taking no, uh, you know, nothing away from him for what he's done uh, in the world of free speech, but I mean, what does he know about conflict? <laughs> Absolutely. I wrote uh, the word press on there in Sharpie and then suddenly I got loads of interviews. That's how it works, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the media, you know, that's a high status job in uh, in the world nowadays. So uh, that's 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 good for you. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So do you so when you go to a, a, to a place like um, Ukraine, do you put yourself out there as media? I mean, you're like, I'm I'm press, I'm media because, you know, you see these you know, uh, CNN guys out there with their their media placards on and everything like that. And several several people have been targeted, you know, uh, you know, they think because they're media, I think it's because they're driving down a, a given road at a given time. But I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing with media that they won't tell you because it will damage their image. But with me, I think it enhances mine. They pull a lot of strings by um, basically just 
saying the media and then they just pull the veil underneath the people that actually you know don't need the uh, details being revealed to get a story and that's why most people don't like the media in these areas especially the ukrainian soldiers because they've seen what the media has done to them with myself i just kind of walk in with a photoshop press badge i printed off and laminated and showed to some people like i did a live stream when i got uh, surrounded by ukrainian forces yeah yeah go and get it uh, roman's got one too um they let us go as well because we didn't say we were uk press we didn't say we were official we weren't sanctioned by anything we just said hey we're here as press underneath my company blah 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 and it worked um when I was with Ukrainian Special Forces for two days on the front lines of Kharkiv, um, basically they thought I was the worst and best pressure I ever met. So <laughs> by just blocking out my uh, actual oh, detail yeah, yeah. a bit. See, we even got the uh, little thing so I can stick it on a lanyard. It, it's so professional, oh, man. That's very official. Yeah. UK independent press. <laughs> yeah, I'd buy that. I'd buy that, except for the fact that you look like you're 14 in the photo. No, <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's 14 in the video here. Exactly, he called shoot like, I'm not, right. not 14. <laughs> by, by, by mentally, the way, mentally. Uh, yeah, by yeah. The way. I haven't made it past that in my mind, but you know, <laughs> yeah, don't don't feel bad. I mean, we, we, all of us have more than a few gray hairs, and we feel like we're still like you know 22 at heart, so. Oh no oh, no! Um, I'm covered in white hair. Oh, I've got least... I'm salt and pepper, and I'm I'm only 22. Oh, at least you have hair. <laughs> we're we're like old guys, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, we, we Roman, can pass you... as 30. Roman, oh, I think you need to have a word with Twitter because every time I try to tag you in something, it I literally have to spell your entire name out before it like finally auto populates. Uh, I, you know, I I think you might you you might have picked up a shadow ban out there. Uh, I've that. only been on it for like two weeks, so <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. Um, all right, so let's let's get back to. I mean, you were in Ukraine before the war broke out, and Roman, yes. you weren't yet with him. If if I've got my timeline down right, you weren't there yet before the war broke out. And so, for instance, last night I was rewatching some of your videos, Miles, and like I was watching the abandon uh, the. Uh, the abandoned airfield one, and that was right before the war broke out. Uh, and you were talking about the buildup and everything like that. So, give me your sense of like being on the ground in Ukraine. What was the um, what was kind of like the feeling in the air with um, with the uh, with everything? Oh, that's me. So, uh, <laughs> so when I landed in Ukraine, it was completely normal. I went through Kiev and I went around all the regions. I went to Kharkiv, I went to Donetsk, I went to um, Odessa. And from there, I spoke to individuals in bars and all the other places you'll find locals. And the whole sentiment was, uh, we've had a war since 2014, this is nothing new, this is all just Western media propaganda, war's not going to happen, if it does, it's going to be a quick media skirmish, it's not going to happen. And as I travelled around for two weeks, um, I kind of noticed there was just that in, uh, uneasy peace, and then I thought to myself, you know, this is not going to happen. I went to the front lines of Donetsk, uh, right up to the checkpoints where they wouldn't let me through, and I couldn't uh, walk across the minefield fields. Um, so I just stood there wearing a Putin mask and the Ukrainian uniform I was given as a gift from a Ukrainian soldier. And after travelling around, I thought, well, there's no war at the moment, so I've done all the hot spots and everything. 
until it happens, um, I can't keep burning through money. I have to go home. So yeah. I flew home thinking wars not going to break out for months or it's never going to happen. Well, real, despite... real, real quick, what was the feeling with the people that you were talking to? I mean, did they think that war could break out? Or I mean, was everybody pretty much kind of in a little bit in denial? Everyone was a little bit in denial, I believe. Um, they were also kind of pacified by the fact that most of their employers were saying, hey, if war does break out, um, we all get you a mini buffs and we'll all take you out of the city. And when we go to Poland, they can start a normal life again and everyone keep their jobs. So every single little industry had this little mental fail safe saying, yeah, war's not going to happen. But if it does, you know, we'll all take you out because we're such a lovely family as a company. But, uh, you know, as most companies um show that you know that's all facade there's it's a complete lie the companies yeah. abandoned these people and as war happened you know everyone was stranded all of a sudden so i got home two days before the war broke out i woke up at 6 a.m to about 50 missed calls um saying war and then one hour later i was on the way to the train station to the airport once again to fly back in so what I did, I flew to Poland, got the last train into Lviv, then Lviv to Kiev, and then Kiev to um, Kharkiv, where I spent the time with Ukrainian special forces. And then uh, from there, seeing all the shelling, going with the people carriers, spending the times in, with the troops, I uh, went to Odessa. And I was planning to go to Poland to meet Roman, where he was coming in, because he's Polish. Um, and from Odessa, I walked about... I think it was about 18, 16 hours to Moldova. And then from walking to Moldova, I got a bus through to Romania, Hungary, Slovakia, and then Warsaw. And then from Warsaw, the next day I met Roman and went straight back in because that was a, such an efficient route. That's a hell of a that's a hell of a kind of roundabout way to get there. Thank you. It, it still beats um, London anyway, so you know, it wasn't too bad. Um so so let, let's pick it up. The, the, let's pick up the story then when you uh, link up with Roman and Roman, I'd kind of like to get your uh, impression. I mean, you, you'd been watching his videos, I'm sure, and talking with him, uh, but you weren't there on the ground with him earlier. Were you kind of this is your first time uh, going in with him? Were you kind of a little nervous or what was your what was your thoughts? Uh, so like I, I was in contact with Miles most of the time he was there before. Uh, I, I don't just watch his videos. Like he comes to my the same church as me, so I see him usually well, every yeah, week. Yeah, you guys are friends, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I've actually known Miles since 2018. We've got a really kind of stupid story of how we met. It's something like I had my window open in my like student flat, and I mistook him for someone else and invited him in for pizza. <laughs> I wanted pizza, so I just came in. <laughs> uh, and, and then I don't know. <laughs> It just kind of started from there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, after, you know, hearing what Miles was doing, I thought, you know, Miles, you can't drive, but I can drive. So I, I want to take a car all the way to, you know, somewhere we can take people out who can't take the train. Because one of the things Miles kept complaining about when he was there was like the trains. Everyone has to stand up. There's no, like, it, it's crowded like sardines, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so... Some people are disabled. Some people have children. Children don't want to go on that. That's yeah. awful. And then on top of that, if you're pregnant, it's hopeless. You know, that that's, you know, threatening a possible miscarriage if you're under that kind of stress for that many days. Because what, a three-day trip on the train across the whole country? Um, 
So I thought, yeah, you know, <laughs> I can't afford this, <laughs> but, you know, help me out. We'll get a car and we'll just start driving people across. Um, and then, yeah, I got my time off work and uh, showed up in Warsaw. Where we, as you're showing the video, we bought yeah. that car. <laughs> it was yeah, the, um... <laughs> so I, I thought that was a really funny video where you know you guys basically bought the worst car ever. Um... No, no, no. So this is this is what the car was like after we were done with it. So this is why, like, when we bought it, there was nothing wrong with it. I like it. It worked perfectly fine. It sounded well, it's a, great. It's a Seat, right? It's Seat, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, 2001, I think 1.4 liter engine, like, you know, pretty reliable sounding engine. It sounded good. The oil looked good. The battery was actually inside, unlike it is in the video. <laughs> uh, like, it had something holding it down. Uh, you can see me pointing at it there. There's nothing holding it down by the time we were done with it. And look, I'll move it in a second. Look, it's just completely loose. <laughs> so... It would bounce in the car as we were driving over speed bumps. And I, what did it, what did so, it do? So, like, we only realized, like, so this video, this is me actually discovering that the battery isn't attached to anything. <laughs> I didn't know that until we got back. <laughs> but it's, it's like... It's just held in place by the cables, huh? Yeah, and so it, the cables held it in, yeah. And there was, like, not a big enough hole underneath it, really, for it to fit anyway. Um... But yeah, like it was a good car when we bought it. Sounded good. Didn't have any funny smells. Uh, <laughs> you know, only like like this card holder thing. That was like the only glaring problem. But you know, who cares? Yeah. So <laughs> you just put food in there or something. And <laughs> yeah, there was a piece of paper holding it shut, um, and it was sold like that. <laughs> so um, they didn't give any description or anything about the car. Just sold a scene, discovered problems yourself. Yeah. So it's like yeah. a yeah. They, the, the, I think the words the guy used to describe it at the car place, like where they sold these cars, is uh, you get what you see. <laughs> uh, they don't. They, they've got little text on each of the cars saying if they've got like a serious problem, like needs a gear change or something. But um, for this insurance. one, they just said, yeah, like insurance okay, uh, MOT okay, and it's fine. Mm. Legally, we weren't insured with the car though. No, we technically. were. No, we were. I found out after it. No, no. So it's oh. like you um, in Ukraine, we were insured. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think you needed a green car to drive a foreign car into Ukraine to have it insured. We didn't have that, and so we couldn't find any way to do it in a reliable amount of time. So we just thought, wait a minute, um, we'll wing it. <laughs> and we just drove in. They didn't ask for the documents. They didn't ask for half the stuff they should have asked us. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we uh, must have gone for you. Here's my observations. One, I'm not going to accuse you of being spies, but y'all picked the best spy card. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very gray man car. It's an yeah. extremely gray man car. <laughs> Thank you. If we could afford something better, we would have gone with it. Trust us. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, also, the my best part about is, this is... My second um, point is there's no funny smells when you got it. I'm, I'm just yeah, so I was going to get to that. So, um, after we were done with the car, you know, and I'd gotten back and stuff, uh, there was a guy who emailed my, like, work email. Uh, he found it through, like, Twitter or something. Uh, and he's just like, oh, I want to go to Ukraine, uh, you know, and do some journalism slash charity, kind of like what you guys. 
did. And, uh, you know, I want to know some stuff about how you got about everything. Because he's not, Pol like, he doesn't speak Polish, basically. So he needed help getting around. So I sent him the address to the place we got our car from. Like, you know, hey, these guys have cheap cars. They work when you buy them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, so he, you know, and a bunch of other places you can get cars. And so he goes to that place sends me the photo of the car he's like i found your car and then five minutes later he sends me another photo of like just the dashboard of it and something along the lines of your car died as soon as i tried to start it <laughs> so basically that car gave us its last breath and then died we <laughs> sold it back to the same people you. off price that's that's i mean you guys got your money's worth out of it that's for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we abused it <laughs> It now smells like, uh, what is it, like Ukrainian hand petrol. moisturizer and you no, it smells like Polish petrol, luckily. Mm. Oh, yeah, the, um, the gas we spilled. Yeah, so, like, we bought, we brought jerry cans with us into Ukraine because we knew there was, like, shortages and stuff. So we brought, I think it was, like, 45 liters of petrol in different containers. What we didn't think about is that the nozzle you use to pour the petrol into the gas, like, the, the tank, uh, you know, you should probably dry it before you dump it in the back seats. Roman woke up with a headache, and we were like, I wonder why. And then I, I like the smell of petrol, so I was like, wow, something smells really good in here. <laughs> and we realized uh, Roman was pretty much having his brain cells killed by the petrol. No, I, it was <laughs> like a, after we'd slept outside the car, when we got back to the car, uh, we just like, wow, this car stinks <laughs> of <laughs> petrol. I also and th that's it now, not what it was when we were driving it, like for the 12 hours or so the day before. Yeah. <laughs> I left the lid off as well, which was a dumb idea because uh, then we had some petrol go over all our food, which was in plastic anyway, so <laughs> I can biohazard. <laughs> well, well, gentlemen, you know, I, I have uh, some news I, for you. The conflict didn't get you, but I'm surprised you guys survived yourselves. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that that's the thing with these trips, you know. Uh, Miles never actually meets any danger, like, externally. It's just his next bad idea that's going to get him killed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I just endanger myself because I honestly enjoy it, and everyone online is welcome to uh, watch me slowly deteriorate <laughs> over time. It's great. So, gentlemen, I have some news for you. There is actually an official military term for that part, the part that goes between the jerry can and the car. It's called a donkey dick. Yeah, donkey dick. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm Absolutely. not making that up in the slightest. Amazing. I don't want Google donkey dick right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like uh, I don't want to just Google that. I'm Googling it. That's also terminology <laughs> for an antenna. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, Mike. Mike. Uh, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> don't Google it. Don't Google it. <laughs> do, do not. You should put. Donkey. You should probably put military term on the end of that. <laughs> But, uh, well, so, all right, so you guys have got the dodgiest car in the world. Uh, no, no, but it know. was good when we bought it. So, okay, so the reason it's destroyed now is the potholes. Oh, Ukrainian potholes. roads. Oh, I can I imagine. kid you not, you cannot, like, when we were even getting close to Kiev and stuff, I kept looking at the roads thinking, you know, did a shell hit this? And, it, and then you get closer and it's like, no, that's just a normal pothole. There's no, <laughs> you know, the roads actually look like they've seen war 
all over Ukraine, <laughs> even before, like, you know, well, you know, I, you know, I, I, I keep I, seeing I, all this I, stuff about like Russian tanks that have like lost their treads and they're claiming it's like RPG round hit it. No, it's the potholes. <laughs> the potholes have probably ruined like a quarter of their tanks. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I definitely appreciate your uh, ability to conduct, you know, discovery learning live. Um, and so, you know, let's just hope that your the things that you discover aren't lethal. Um, but that being said, so far you're good to go. Um, so you get the car and you're going into Ukraine. So, uh, you know, definitely, you know, Miles, you mean at this point, you had you already been in, you had already been in when the war started, but you got out, you went back out to pick up Roman, but and then you went back in. So I'm curious yeah, your, what I mean, because so you went through the area where all the refugees were coming out and the long lines and whatnot. So I'm kind of curious to get your impression on, um, you know, how things deteriorated very quickly. Of course, yes. Yeah. So overnight, all the ATMs were completely uh, demolished. So all the money was gone. Um, some stores were broken into and uh, half the items were ransacked. And what happened as well, it was bizarre. So all the business owners who owned all the high-end stores and food shops, they all fled the country, of course. But then that left no shops open for people to buy food. So there was still an abundance of food. You could see everything for in shop windows. Um, it was just no one able to sell it. So there was a small subculture I noticed where people would break into shops but leave the money there in the till and they would leave a note on the front saying, you know, sorry, here's the money for the window, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And people would just take the stuff. I also heard rumours too showing us here with um, Ukrainian soldiers doing the same things and also Russian soldiers asking for food and breaking in. It was it was bizarre. Um, overnight, two curfews were put on. Air raid sirens, uh, sirens went off nightly, and then everyone would rush to bunkers and bring down mattresses from hotels. That's where I stayed in for some of my time. Um, it, it became realistic overnight. Um, all of a sudden, war just broke out, and all the people couldn't believe it. Every civilian thought war wasn't going to happen. They thought it was just Western propaganda. It just hit everyone like a shed of bricks. Um, another thing that was weird that I noticed was um, everywhere had their lights off constantly. Um, so people that were stuck at train stations um, basically had no heating, no electricity. So no one could charge their phones or anything. And everyone was packed together like sardines, um, not for a short queue, like two hours waiting for a train. I'm talking about consecutive lines of standing up for more than 24 hours. Um, most of the men, too, that were trying to get from city to city to find their wife or even get um, to their military um, posts uh, were waiting a good 20 hours outside in the cold and the dark. Um, I saw a few people actually drop just because they've been standing for so long. They fainted. Um, so it was quite bad. Um, one thing as well, the undergrounds were completely shut down. So like seeing on the video, people would knock on uh, the bomb shelters with free knocks um, and then just sneak underground and just walk in between areas they needed to get to. Because during shelling and during the curfews, 
you simply couldn't go out of being without being suspected as a Russian spy, which was why I was partially detained by the Ukrainian special forces when I was in Kharkiv. Um, I was questioned for, I think it was just over an hour until I determined I was just a ballsy journalist, <laughs> which was <laughs> entertaining. <laughs> yeah. One of the guys too was also, um, he spent time in South Sudan. Um, he didn't reveal he was just special forces, but after speaking to him, I kind of asked him some questions and he revealed it. Um, and we bonded out about our time in Afghanistan, South Sudan, and different areas. And I, I think he he said I was wonderful, but also a wonderful idiot. So lovely <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I don't blame him. So hey, can you can you just tell us a little bit about what we're seeing here on the video? I mean, so this is in Kharkiv. You're down in the subway system. It looks like. So yes. uh, what what was that like? Well, it was bizarre because of the initial, um, of the initial part of getting in, um, there'll be some blast-proof doors blocking the underground. So you'd have to knock three times. That was a code word that every Ukrainian knew, even the Russians knew. You'd be let in, and then they would pat you down. Um, they would search your bag and everything, and then you were allowed into the underground. From there, people would separate themselves into different groups of which direction they were going. Because many people had a fear that if they went into the underground, they could easily get lost and end up in some dodgy area. Because it wasn't just a straight line down the tracks. People would zigzag through the engineering corridors and ventilation areas that were not operating. So you could make one small turn and drop down a hole or something because they weren't in the best condition. So people would go in groups, little packs, um, the same direction. Um, and then from there, you would walk for hours upon hours um, just talking, singing songs, um, and eventually you would come to train stations where people were actually setting up tents and fires in the corners to cook food and handing out water and such. They were really well equipped um, with all the supplies they needed, but it was very, it was very emergency, desperate um, of a setup. Um, people were just setting up mini shelters underground and spending days there i met one couple um an elderly couple who couldn't walk too well they spent i think 11 nights underground and had no idea what was happening on happening with the outside world um that's the one thing too there's a lot of old people that have been left behind in these areas and they have no access to outside information just because they don't have smartphones or the internet yeah no that's um that's a uh... Man, that's that's kind of a brutal way to live, you know. I mean, you know, living you know more than a week at a time in these underground shelters, especially underground shelters that weren't designed necessarily to be shelters in the first place. I mean, you know. So, so Ron had to take off, but he he kind of put in the uh, in the chat. Um, he was talking about. Um, uh, Rory, Rory Stewart and, and, you know, his kind of trips in Afghanistan um, was, you know, he was British as well. So was he a uh, somebody who kind of inspired you uh, on this or or how much were you aware of him? I wasn't aware too much, to be honest, but I've been researching ever since um, because I I do want to go back to Afghanistan at some point, which would be quite entertaining. Um, so I've looked into him and his story is incredibly interesting. Um Originally, the person who kind of brought my attention to Afghanistan was um, it was a famous YouTuber who's been to every single um, place on Earth, um, every single country. 
uh, Drubinsky, that's his name. And then when I saw how beautiful Afghanistan was, I, I kind of thought, well, plane tickets are cheap as chips at the moment. I wonder why. Um, might as well just take advantage of the situation and pop down. Um, I'm At the time, I was at university studying physics and I was going into investment banking. So I, I just thought, well, you know, I'm going to be spending 90-hour work weeks behind a desk for you know, the rest of my life until I'm 50 years old and can maybe look at early retirements. Um, I might as well just go on a crazy adventure because why not? It's in my um, it's in my risk profile, and I'd researched the country and I thought, you know, I, I don't mind taking this um, I don't mind taking this risk. And to be honest, I still don't regret it till this day. That's awesome. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of you you are kind of the uh, the epitome of of what so many you know, especially young men, you know, they they get this idea that they want to do something you know, wild or have a big adventure or whatever. And most of them, well, 99.9% .9 of them never have an adventure. Uh, but you've just really kind of taken the world by the balls and kind of done your own thing with it. And so that's very cool. Um, so what 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 are some of the things, in, just in kind of talking with people in, in the Ukraine, I mean, we've focused in this channel a lot on the Ukraine war. It's really where we kind of got our our first pop. Um, so just kind of interesting, you know, we had somebody on, uh, the other day who's, uh, he's got a lot of family in Ukraine, but you've actually been on the ground during this thing. So if you can just kind of talk me through some of your interactions with people, um, that you, that you met over there and just, you know, some of the interesting anecdotes or stories, uh, that, you know, doesn't have to necessarily be bad or good. Just, I'm just kind of curious about some of the unique experiences. So I met this elderly couple that was underground, the same couple I was speaking about previously. And the man was actually in the Soviet army back in the Soviet days when Ukraine and Russia were together. Um, so when I was speaking to him, he kind of went back and forth with where he had dual, laws, uh, dual law, um, loyal, loyalty to both areas. And he, he kind of sympathized with Russia weirdly. And then his wife started attacking him, slapping him. Um, <laughs> it was it was a very weird interaction. So there's a lot of people that even before the war actually liked um, Russia quite a bit. And nowadays um, that sentiment has kind of changed, but there's still some small subgroups where people can kind of sympathize with the whole Russian agenda. But what most people that the West won't tell you is most people do blame NATO for all this entire war. They, um, they kind of bring up the points where Russia and NATO agreed um, on a verbal basis um, unofficially that, you know, Ukraine would move more towards uh, NATO and, um, you know, push this whole uh, thing going on they, the people here feel like they've been abandoned to some degree i mean you can send um small snippets of weaponry their way and some financial aid and post stuff on instagram to uh, help ukraine but the people on the ground just want an army to come help them at the end of the day um regardless of the ramifications that might come with it I mean, the people there are generally just really tired of this because they've lived with this ever since 2014. That's what most people don't understand. This war has been going on for ages. Um, you know, it's really worn down people. Um, and they've gone from quite a prosperous area in Kiev and Kharkiv, you know, it was a student town, to now a ghost town where people will just never go return to tourism in the next 10 years. Um, so people just aren't hopeful there. They're looking to survive and you see a lot of hope with some people. A lot of people are happy and generous and helpful. 
but um, a lot of people are giving up hope slowly, I notice. And, you know, it's been a few weeks since we got out, so it's probably a lot worse even now. Well, so, I mean, you know, the there have been... There's the news of in in the West are are singing the praises of uh, of their president. I mean, I, I imagine you know the the kind of more complex politics of this whole deal kind of escape most folks, um, especially the ones that are kind of wrapped up into into it. Um, what's the view of Zelensky there on the ground? I mean, does he have that kind of um, image to his people as well? No, so most people actually didn't like him before the war when I was speaking to people. They just saw him as a always another person getting rich, going to the top, you know, he used to be a movie star, he used to do all these um all these films and acting and everything. But whatever, you know, he's he's doing okay, nothing too impressive. <clears throat> Everyone, yeah, like like I, seeing I, I can do that on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like seeing on the memes, uh people in the West praise him as some sort of uh, grand hero, but everyone there is kind of saying, Well, you know, he's doing okay at the moment, but to be honest, he's not doing anything crazy. We're just glad he's keeping up the fights like every other president probably would. Um, he's all Russian puppet, so that's that's brilliant. Um, you know, we'll just keep him around. They're not seeing him some sort of great hero, but just seeing him someone who's doing his duty. Um, but still, they wish he could do more because the Ukrainian people are still suffering. Um, and the war isn't won yet. Um, and it's not really on people's minds right now. Uh, most people are just looking to get the next meal or uh, get the next train out. Uh, politics is not, isn't something on people's minds, um, and that's what the West doesn't understand. Everyone on Reddit and uh, Twitter, too, treat it like some sort of Marvel movie where they see it as the uh, good guy against the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, people well, are kind of disconnected of a real situation. And th- that's the other thing too. So you were in you were in Kharkiv. I mean, that area, you know, has traditionally has a, a, a pretty large Russian, you know, Ukrainian Russian po- population in it. Um, you know, I, I would imagine there was. I mean, you kind of mentioned the guy had kind of conflicted loyalties. I mean, I would I would imagine that would be something that, you know, that you would encounter fairly often. But I mean, one of the other things that's been interesting, you know, a lot of the media kind of. You know, the media always talks to the person who wants to talk to the media, right? That's just the way it works. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, the person who h- hates the Russians, you know, like wants to go and tell their story about how they hate the Russians. And same thing when you see RT, you know, coming in behind the Russian forces, that of course, they're going to go talk to the person who, oh, the Ukrainian soldiers were terrible to us. We're so glad the Russians are here. I mean, that's maybe like 10% of the people, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, then you got all the people in the middle that are just worried about their own lives and 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 things like this, uh, and are just kind of caught in in the tug of war between you know between the the, the two kind of bases of power. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, what you saw on those more complex uh, kind of uh, emotions and whatnot. But before we get to that, I got a four ninety nine super chat. Uh, Fife Bear says, "When the war ends, I think there'll be a flood of tourism. All those big booty babes with Ukraine flags in their bio will help." So, <laughs> you know, one of the the, the kind of jokes we made is, that, you know, all the Ukrainian cam girls are, are, are you know, getting put out of the work, you know, because of this, and now the Russian cam girls are getting put out of work because of the sanctions. Um, anyway, you know that that could make a lot of people conflicted, right? Um, so. I, I want to get back to that whole idea of conflicted loyalties and, and just the kind of people on the street. 
you know, you know, you had those interactions with the special forces guys. I mean, how do they view the Russians that they're fighting? Oh yeah, I, I found out uh, one of the Ukrainian special forces um, um, that I met actually had a good friend in Russia who was quite high up. So they would actually regularly chat just as friends, bizarrely, um, over unencrypted WhatsApp. Um, at that point, they put past um, you know political identities and all this rubbish just came down as friends. Most people saw it as a forever war. So when you're in Afghanistan as, say, American, you can tell who's the enemy and who's not just by looking at them, you know, you know, um, you know, which side who's on and so on to some degree. But even with Russia, uh, sometimes Russians were shooting at their own forces. Um, that happens quite a few times. And same with Ukrainians, simply just because it's a forever war. Um, they, they feel like they're being pitted against one another to some degree and they just don't want it to happen. Uh, they want some sort of peace to be brokered, but at the same time, they don't want peace because they'll damage their egos. There's a lot of conflicting emotions going on. So like I said, the older people had a lot of conflicting emotions. The, uh, the younger people um, just don't care. They just want complete peace. They don't care if they have to give up a little bit of land. Um, they don't want any fighting. The young people don't. Their blood isn't boiled up like uh, all the Westerners. Um, and you've got a lot of um, you've got a lot of business people too that would work between Ukraine and Russia quite regularly, and now they're kind of thinking, well, you know, all my clients are from both sides. What do I do? I see no difference between them. The average Russian and the average Ukrainian will get on very lovely in a conversation. It's just if you go higher up, um, they're enemies, but on the ground they're clearly not. They're being forced against one another when they just don't want it. And, that's why so many people are crying, and that's why um, you're seeing a lot of confusion on the ground. Sorry, I was muted there. Um, so I don't, I don't think what we're seeing on the on, coming out of the media is gonna is gonna help much either. I mean, yeah, I'm curious. When you were in Ukraine, did you was there like Ukrainian media or any kind of like local media that was putting news out to the people? Or was it mostly, you know, kind of social networks and um, and kind of, you know, you know, information came through on the grapevine? I mean, yeah, so mostly it came from Signal, the um, the app Signal, where everyone would send across uh, messages and updates in certain areas. So we there'll be different group chats for different regions, and then for different regions there'll be separate um, subgroup chats and so on. So people can get very specific information because most people that I spoke to automatically just rolled their eyes and said, well, Western media reporting, blah, blah, blah. They're trying to pierce against one another. They want conflicts. Um, and most of the people there just didn't believe what people were saying. So they didn't watch the news and I didn't see a news, news uh, journalist apart from the average everyday person. And if it was a news journalist uh, that was from Ukraine, it was just on official government um, standing where they were just reporting exactly what's going on, how many casualties and in what area and what to do if you're in this area. Um, so that was that was bizarre to see, because if it was yeah. happening in the Western nation, there'll be a lot of misinformation from all the big news um, journalists just running around doing their own thing. You know, one one question that springs to my mind is like now. So now you've been in wartime uh, Ukraine and you were in technically wartime Afghanistan. Right. Um, yes. So 
how would you compare the two and what are the big differences you see? I mean, you know, clearly Afghanistan, 20 years of war in that country, you know, the the population definitely is way more worn down than say in Ukraine, but in Ukraine it's high intensity warfare. It's different types of things. So I'm curious what your kind of compare and contrast would be. So with Afghanistan, with the Taliban and everything, you knew what was going on. You could see the Taliban as they were coming and you knew they would just, um, they when you in when you're in Kabul they wouldn't shoot civilians they just roll straight in it was very straightforward there was no confusion about what was going on a little panicking but when you came to Ukraine shelling was constant and you could hear it the first time you heard it it was it was bizarre but then after a while um, you got used to it and then then after a little bit it would hit either right next to you or uh, a few miles away from you and then you'll realize oh wait um people getting bombed every single day. Um, you know, I don't know where it's going to come. I'm just a human without the power to influence this. I can't run away from this to some degree because it can just hit me without me knowing it. I can't predict its trajectory or general facility beyond what I see and what I hear on the media. So it just made everything a little bit more uncertain, a little bit more, um, I would say... A bit more anxious, yeah. If that makes sense, um, it was just you know you couldn't see the skies, you couldn't see the planes or anything. At least with Afghanistan, it was it was hot. There was resources around, and everyone had everything they needed. With Ukraine, it was storming with snow. It was sub-zero temperatures, and people were standing outside shivering. You couldn't withstand the elements in Ukraine for more than a good few hours without getting getting incredibly comfortable, uncomfortable. Um, and like you say, like you see on the video, the infrastructure just wasn't up to scratch for the general population to get out. Um, at least with Afghanistan, they were letting women, children and most men out um, to their villages, to their regions and sometimes even to Pakistan. But with Ukraine, only women and children were let out. So most men, even if they weren't capable of doing war mentally, they were completely stuck there. Um, and most people were scared. Yeah, I mean, it's so, not entirely true. I mean, like when we were in Lviv, it was quite funny because uh, the air raid siren goes off, uh, and then absolutely no one moved. Lviv, yeah. Uh, and we found out later it's something like all of their air raid sirens in the country are hooked up to the same like detection system. So oh, it's no. just if it detects a launch anywhere, everywhere it gets an air raid siren. So we're like. No. You know, four hours, I don't know how far Lviv is from the border. You know, we're just sitting in our car in the city, like, trying to get a couple hours sleep. And the air raid siren goes off. And at first, I'm like, Moss, do we go to the shelter? He's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. And we're, like, right next to one, next to something with sandbags. I don't know what it was. But, um, yeah, like, no one moved. We'd just seen a lady, you know, in the hotel before. She didn't go anywhere. Uh, we saw the news van next to it, next to that hotel. They didn't go anywhere either. No one moved. <laughs> it's like absolutely um, no one cared in Lviv. And then uh, after we evacuated the the lady we picked up, she was telling us in the car, like, "Oh yeah, Lviv. It's like the war is not even happening here. No one cares. <laughs> Everyone's just right. going about their normal day." And when we were there, that's what it looked like. Yeah, it's like the, it was very strange because in the nighttime when we passed through. 
yeah, it looked scary. There was like a bunch of checkpoints. Everyone looked, you know, ready to, you know, they're all holding their guns. No one's like leaving them lying around. Uh, and then on the way back through, it was daytime and it looked like rush hour. There's like people running around. Well, not running around, you know, just going about their day. Like we saw people taking photos of, you know, <laughs> monuments and stuff. They, they looked like tourists. It looked totally normal. <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of surreal, right? Yeah. Um, so, Ron, you had a question uh, I saw. What? I think I know yeah, where you're going with this, too. Yeah, I, I did. So the other day, um, I, I, I was watching from the audience. We had a, a gentleman on, and one of the questions he was asked, because he's, you know, he's um, – advocating for ukrainian relief but we uh he was asked uh you know is it was there anything more the the ukrainian government or the ukrainian people could have done to uh prepare themselves for this because up until the very last minute it was it was they were the ukrainian government was saying there's never going to be invasion blah 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 it's it's all it's all make-believe and then it happened so in your conversations with ukrainian citizens was there any um maybe resentment's too strong a word, but was there any, you know, like, man, if we'd only known about this, we would have prepared better. We would have stocked up on food. We would have, you know, had better defenses. We wouldn't have, you know, had this. We would have, you know, I mean, what, whatever the opinions were, but I mean, not that they're blaming their government, but that they, they felt like they were misled. Did you ever get any sense of, of that from any of the Ukrainian folks you spoke with? A few. Yeah. So in the, in the, um, in the northern districts of Kharkiv, you came across a lot of people in these um, flat areas, you know, the Soviet era flats that had these underground shelters that were 40, 50 years old and they fallen into massive disrepair. There was some areas that had sewage inside. Um, you know, it wouldn't stand a direct blast like it should. Uh, it just wasn't up to scratch. And these people realized, wait, this is the only thing standing between me and potential death. I pay my taxes. The government hasn't updated this like it should do. And this is the front lines right now. So why haven't I been protected? Um, there was also another thing that most people realized was people that lived away from their grandmas and grandpas couldn't go to certain areas to get them to safety. But at the same time, there was no actual service where people would go into homes and get people out. So there was this massive struggle of people just DMing random strangers in the area, just asking, hey, my grandma needs this medication. No soldiers will help her get out. Please can you go in, I'll pay you a stupid amount, just get to a train station, please. So there's a huge amount of elderly people just dotted around the country, just sitting mm. in their chairs as supplies dwindle and relying on any neighbours that are left. And those old people who have basically dedicated their lives to building Ukraine from the first days it was created back in the uh, 90s, they've been left behind pretty much. Um, and they're one of the greatest generation. So it's kind of disheartening to see. And all those grandchildren too, that have seen their, uh, grandparents being abandoned completely resenting the government because it wouldn't be hard to send uh, maybe a, a soldier in the area to go and check up upon someone but they're not doing it from a lack of understanding or a lack of infrastructure or awareness just no one thought about it and it's a huge oversight that most people don't re doesn't haven't realised it's, it's so, sad. Yeah. you know the the, the 
kind of going off of what Ron was asking, I mean, so just the daily life for these people, right? So, I mean, there are a lot of things, whether it's a flush toilet or, a, you know, clean water or, you know, food whenever we want it. I mean, these are the kind of things that we kind of take for granted in, in the modern world. What were So you'd mentioned earlier about, like, for instance, stores were closed, but they still had stock in it. So people were breaking in and taking the stock, but paying the money, you know, leaving the money, you know, kind of staying, trying to stay honest. What were some of the things that just were in short supply and people that, you know, people probably took for granted the most? Petrol. Yeah, definitely petrol. Um, petrol prices spiked massively. It's just like in the US. Um, and petrol stations would open, say, 8 a.m., do you think? And they would run out most of the time around midday. Um, so we would drive past several petrol stations. Like nine out of ten petrol stations, they just had like, they just said closed, we've got no petrol. Uh, and like at one of them we stopped i just wanted a nap but this guy still came over just to say like hey we got no petrol like <laughs> it's out um, and then i'm like no no i'm just sleeping <laughs> yeah um just the ease of transportation and the other thing too was just generally um luxuries when it comes to food because most people had the bare necessities of you know water canned food bread some basic meat then you had um some young children that just really wanted some comforting foods and after waiting in the lines for say um three hours outside the store to get inside pick up the necessities um people just being worn down because they don't have those creature comforts that modern life has really facilitated for us um and another thing too, if you, if one of your electronics broke, such so as your phone, your phone charger, most convenience stores just sell foods, no accessories in the back or on the back shelves. You would be screwed because there's no electronics stores open, nothing like that. So you came across a lot of people that would just come up to you and ask for your phone charger for 10 minutes. And at this point, I realized that at the train station, I was just giving away spare cables and everything, trying to help out some poor elderly lady that you know, wanted to call a grandson. Um, it was just these things that you realize without infrastructure, you just can't get your hands on, on anymore. Thank you. <laughs> Ron getting the delivery. That's, no, that's it. That's interesting. So like, you know, one of the things that, um, that, you know, so we are all at here on this channel, we're all advocates of, of, of a level of preparation, you know, in your daily lives. I mean, because it's not about, you know, the Russians attacking, it's, it's about like, you know, you never know if you could be in a natural disaster or, you know, just a power outage, you know, for, for 12 hours starts to become uh, uh, problematic. So, so have you guys, what have you guys thought about? So like, okay, so the next time we go out, these are things that we're going to, you're going to change our kind of load out to make sure that we have coverage on different, you know, like are there th certain things that you wish you had brought with you that, that you're going to make a better car, time. a better car. <laughs> I think everything else is pretty much fine. No, we, uh, we forgot toothpaste as well, oh, but sense. definitely a better car. No, we, we ran out of cash pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So because ATMs ran dry so quickly, people would only take cash payments because no one had any uh, hopes with the banks going on. Uh, they bought all their money would be wiped from their accounts when the Russians take over, which wasn't the case. But everyone thought, you know, we'll just stick to paper currency. And then after a while, if you spent all your paper currency, you pretty much can't get it. And we got to a point where 
we just about spent all our money, didn't we? I think we had a little bit left. But... Oh, yeah, still got it. Yeah. We... Uh, it's like a hundred uh, hryvnia, I think that's how you say it. Yeah, that, we didn't have more than, I'd say, $20 it's like, left. It's like, no, it's two pounds. Oh, yeah, we had... It's like three dollars. Yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had nothing left. So if we ran out of petrol or ran out of any necessity, uh, we just couldn't buy more. Um, and that's one thing I've always uh, struggled with sometimes. Um, it's just having adequate funds. Because if you take too much, you risk losing it all in a conflict or uh, you know, robbery or something. But if you take too little, you, know, you cut kind of close. So next time, we would have a lot more. And one thing I've also bought that I've got in my to-go bag over there is um, a bunch of silver coins that I can just use as... Um, as currency just to hand out yeah i could just trade that with locals because everyone knows silver is everyone knows it's got xyz base value and then i can just sell it on um i've also got some electronics that i can just use as um hand me out so say if i go to the middle east or central asia again um bribes are a lot higher if you're paying for cash but if you just pay and say uh, an iphone um you would automatically get through a lot easier. So if you wanted to, say, get out of um, Tajikistan without a passport through the airport, you would usually have to pay about $500 to $1,000 for a bribe. But if you give them a £200 iPhone that looked brand new, uh, they would accept it on the spot. So you want to have uh, liquid physical assets with yeah. loads of value that kind of plays into the monkey brain of all shiny objects um yeah yeah. because the funny thing is people don't generally know how much silver is worth like gold you know you've got like a tiny bit of it people expect to get way more for the amount they're expect you know if you say like a thousand dollars of gold someone probably expects like a cube what they're really getting is like a tiny button (laughs) yeah uh, so silver is way better because it looks like loads. It looks like you're, you know, giving them a bargain. <laughs> but, you know, I want to get Joe in on this because this is kind of the, you know, his his bread and butter. But uh, one of the things that, you know, definitely you hit on something. Silver is way more kind of fungible, right? I mean, you know, like because, you know, you can't you can it's you know, if I've got an ounce of gold, that's, you know, almost two thousand dollars right now on the current spot. Yeah, um, you can find it for that. Well, it's unless you're buying a car, you know, right. uh, you know, but I mean, it's kind of hard to make change on two thousand dollars in a conflict zone. So silver, I think, is the way to go. What, well, what you know, kind they of make, make silver um, silver leaf now that's in break off pieces. You know what I mean? It breaks down into, oh, into, yes. into like smaller pieces that are easier to denominate transactions and give change in. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's a good way of doing things because at the end of the day, even though people were taking paper money in Ukraine, no one wanted the Ukrainian currency because they had no, no trust in it. Euros, be a right? currency. Yeah, it was just, uh, you know, it's all based by belief and no one had any belief. So if you wouldn't take in silver, just US dollars as well, that, that works anywhere. Even though the UK pound's stronger, if I bring that, uh, when we went to a currency exchange place on the border, they wouldn't accept pounds even though it's stronger, but they would just accept US dollars. So anywhere you go in the world, just bring some dollars, you'll be it's more because happy. Because of Brexit, I swear. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> Ukrainian uh, money changer guy, its uh, he doesn't take pounds anymore because uh, we voted to leave. One thing as well, I 
I always worry about the possibility of being mugged because, you know, sometimes you're an easy target when you stand out. That's fine, I post online. Um, I've got this bottle here. Um, I've made it well known. Twist off the bottom and money falls out. No one's going to check the water bottle. Um, if someone's uh, mugging you, you can just quickly grab it because you can have it with you, which I've done a few times. Um, you want areas where you can hide cash and assets, which... I usually do. Even in my um, my hiking pants, I've sewn in a secret pocket where I can keep some currency, like uh, the silver we were talking about. It's just really good for certain situations. And I always keep a watch on me too that looks quite fancy and though just a replica. I can hand that to a border guard and get out of the country if I needed. Yeah, you could. You could. It'd be pretty easy just to have a little baggie in your in your backpack with about five or six of those, you know, Fogo watches. You know, so that you can well, hand those I'm out and then you replace it. Ron and Mike have never heard this, but you can also sew a little tiny pocket uh, in your back belt loop for a handcuff key. I wouldn't know anything about this, but I've heard that from guys like Ron and Mike that that's something some people might do. Uh, I have a, I have a bracelet with a handcuff key on it that you can't tell is a handcuff key. So, wait, um, are all handcuffs have the same key? Roughly, yes. roughly, yeah. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> That, that's the yeah that's the that's the benefit of this kind of thing i actually have one on my desk but i have a bracelet that i got from uh somewhere like battle box it's just got a handcuff key on it but you can't tell it's a handcuff key where that bracelet oh, i thought it was your zales uh forever bracelet stop <laughs> it you don't want to send it to me anyway so i mean i don't know what you're talking about well There's you know some, some very interesting 3d printed flat ones yeah <laughs> oh yeah, yeah i can't gym in my uh, in my day planner so as if they're not going to take my day planner from me for some reason i don't know i'm a moron oh we are too <laughs> literally me yeah <laughs> one thing i noticed too that i should bring with me more often is uh wet wipes just ones you can get fast food places Dude, because wet wipes are when... lifesavers yeah oh, absolutely yeah because when we're in the car for like two days we felt groggy you know a little bit disgusting similar clothes we just we just felt bad similar clothes the same and you guys are, <laughs> you, guys are eating. you guys are eating so well yeah um so oh, this is oh, great. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think There's I don't even know what that right part of the car is for, but we found it, like that little hole in the car, and we noticed that the cheese slices fit perfectly. So that was <laughs> yeah. my snack for the trip. <laughs> yeah, I was feeding him cheese as he was driving, as you do. That's total science, bro. I don't don't question it. Just roll. With it. I'm a, I'm an engineer. You know, I solve problems. Uh, you know, I'll put that on my CV. <laughs> How how much uh how much food did you bring with you? Oh, I got a super chat here. Sorry, real quick. Radioactive redhead for five dollars says just a reminder that the audio primer of Mike Bennett's third book will be on radioactive redhead on Thursday the fourteenth. Peter, sure to pop over. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike, uh, it's got a uh, audio book project going with his uh with his current line of novels. So yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, but Mike uh, Colonel Mike Bennett down there. Uh, you know, Miles is a is a world famous and renowned uh, techno thriller uh, author. So, <laughs> uh huh. Hey, I, I had a question for you. Now that I get the microphone, um, one of the guys in there, uh, Fife. One, you know, he he, he was asking, um, how if you had to put a, a number, how, how how afraid were you? You know, at, at points, and and why? I guess. Um, that was that's the first question. 
okay. Um, and, and the second, yeah, stu it, 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 the yeah, second it, stupid question is um, with, the, with your interaction with local Ukrainians, um, did any one of them, did they express, hey, we really should be in NATO? Hey, NATO really should come and save us. Did that ever come up? I'm just, just curious. Yeah. Yeah, before you answer that real quick, just let me re read the super chat in, in whole. Fife Bear for 499 says, uh, Lord, from Lord Miles, at, I gave a, up a birthright to Israel because I didn't want to die on foreign soil. Uh, what was your fear level in the war zone? So, yeah, same. That's what uh, Mike was referring to. Oh, perfect timing. Lovely. Um, the weird thing is, fear doesn't click with me. I'm not saying this is um it's not a brag, trust me. It's it's a survival mechanism I just don't have and it's clearly gonna catch up with me one day. But for some reason, this when I was with Ukrainian forces, um we were upstairs in complete darkness at like nine PM eating dinner um with that photo right there. And as we were eating the food, um we started getting shelled, so we all had to get up. Everyone was yelling. We had to sprint downstairs to the shelter straight away um, because the building next door got destroyed. We thought we were next because, you know, it was um, it was like a little secret bunker um, government building as well. And when we got there, I was running. And when I was running, I was I was neutral. I wasn't scared. I wasn't afraid. I just I just felt like it was something I had to do and then when we all got down I didn't have a helmet on because I wasn't issued one so one of the guys jumped on top of me and he was breathing rapidly he was he was fearing for his life and I was there just breathing incredibly slowly like I just finished meditating on the top of a mountain somewhere and he noticed that and so did I and he just asked me you know do not fear anything or what's going on with you and I don't know what it is but when I'm in these war zones I don't, I don't feel stressed. If anything, this is my best environment I'm in. I, I excel when these situations. I feel more anxious going to the store and if my car declines, I have to type in my pin and I feel embarrassed. Um, there's these small social situations I feel more stressed under than I do in quite literal front lines of war zones. I don't know where it came from. Um, in Kabul, I was smiling a little bit when I was running away from a Taliban game, um, almost shot at to some degree. I don't know. It's bizarre. Maybe I need to get a, uh, a brain scan at some point. And there was also um, there was quite a few Ukrainians who expressed that you know, NATO should come and save us because there was that agreement that um, Ukraine would be protected if they gave up their nuclear weapons back in the day. And that sentiment really carried over. Most people were going, well, you know, why do we have a president that aligns for West if the West isn't going to help us? They can send us equipment, but we might not know how to use the equipment if the equipment might come too late. And regardless of how much equipment we send, still there's thousands of good men that are going to die. Why can't the US and UK and all the other countries send in uh, people to come help us? Um, you know, they can bomb the Middle East, they can bomb all these uh, small African nations, but why can't they help um, against the big enemy of Russia that has been fueling the cold war ever since it began back in the day um most people were very confused by it and they just felt like they were on their own to some degree yeah diatica she's one of our mods for the channel she says no you both missed your special forces calling so uh clearly uh you know the the, the businesses that uh, many of us have chosen um it, it definitely benefits having a uh you know the ability to 
be more rational under fire versus fearful. So, uh, you know, just just use that. My advice to you, and I'm sure you know some of the guys in the in you know, the council here might have the similar or different advice. Is that you know while you may not feel fear, you have to still understand risk, right? And so you, mm. you know you have the ability uh, in stressful situations then to actually perceive fear, uh, risk, you know, accurately and make good decisions, right? You know, so just you know, don't transition into that foolhardy, uh, you know, thing, just because you don't feel fear or you don't have, you don't face danger. So mm -hmm. that well, would be my only right. The, the most danger I think we were in, like, from the objective point of view, it, Miles was never in danger in a lot of these other places with the shelling and stuff. No, he was underground. The most danger he was ever in was when we were driving alongside just any Ukrainian driver. They, I don't know if it's before or after the war. Normally, you know, I don't have stereotypes about how people drive. Uh, you know, I don't think big cars are bad drivers or anything. But um, over there, they tailgate each other. Like, everyone tailgates. Like, they're all about, you know, like a foot away from the car in front of them. And they all kind of follow each other, like, uh, in a way that they can look in front of the car in front of them. So there's like this long diagonal line of cars all looking for the next opportunity to even, they don't even overtake. They just want to see what's in front. The biggest risk you into, so we were at a checkpoint and we had to get out of the car, they searched our bags and everything. But one of the guards misfired a PKM right next to us. Um, oh. And Roma didn't realize someone misfired. <laughs> I, I was completely calm under fire. <laughs> yeah, it was you know, if he directed, uh, he, if he was at a slightly different angle, say five degrees closer you know, in our direction, um, we might have been hit to the leg or something like that because it ricocheted off the ground and then echoed. Um, and it was incredibly close. But, <laughs> I just turned yeah. around to Miles. Uh, does he want us to stop? And Miles is like, no, whatever, just go. And then we just kept driving. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't realize. Yeah. And then they all, I, I looked in my mirror and they're all just telling him off. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if you you forces with bad, drive in Baghdad for a little bit. Oh, yeah, I walked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Kabul yeah. was oh, it was amazing, but I, I don't like wearing seatbelts anymore. Uh, just from Kabul because, yeah, when I was there, there was no road rule, no road uh, rules, there was no oh, stop no. signs, there was no traffic lights, there was nothing. I remember during the fall of Kabul, some people would pull out their handguns and just shoot into the air to try and get it right away because beeping their horn didn't work anymore. <laughs> it was bizarre, but at the same time, it was a... Uh, it's better than a horn. Yeah, it was... <laughs> you know. The cool yeah, thing about Kabul is you, you you will discover every stolen car from Western Europe in Kabul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is With the license plates still on them from the... Pretty much, country. yeah. With, with Pick your EU country of choice, yeah. And as far as Ukrainian drivers, what you don't understand <laughs> is the way they were taught to drive is a bunch of failed NASCAR drivers from the United States went over and are, are teaching driving courses in the Ukraine because that's the way NASCAR operates <laughs> as far as tailgating and drafting behind you like that. Uh, so <laughs> I'd like to ask a quick question of, of, yeah, for, of Miles and, and, uh, and Roman is so years ago during one of my, you know, my multiple tours in Afghanistan, <clears throat> um, I, I was put in touch with a book called, by Rory Stewart. He's, he's a fellow British guy from y'all and it's called, um, 
the places in between. And um, it's it's him and his wife, and they do this um, foot sojourn across um, through Iran and through Afghanistan and into China. And it, I mean, it's it's a great adventure novel. It reads like this. But um, my question is, what inspired you to do this? Because there's there's been other. I mean, we had the the U.S. backpackers that they're backpacking in northern Iraq and like. Well, I think this trail's better than they end up in Iran and and you know months later they finally get released after you know you know months of torture and harassment but I mean what inspires you to do this it's I mean and don't tell me it's some sort of adrenaline rush because th- then I'll reach to the camera and hurt you but I mean <laughs> I mean seriously what 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 inspires you to do this because I got to tell you you know the you know I dealt with doctors without frontiers in Afghanistan and I mean those guys have I don't know how they how they transport their cojones, their brass balls, because they're huge. Because what they do operating with the Haqqanis and the Taliban and Al Qaeda guys, uh, I mean, it's remarkable. I I give them major props, and I would never do what they do. But I mean, what inspires you to do this? It was Lent, and I wanted to do something for Lent that was oh, be, charitable. Come on, stop. <laughs> I'm not Jim, kidding. Jim Lee. That's what I, mean, I told him. I mean, I mean, Miles, what inspires you to 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 show up in South Sudan? I mean, look at you. Look at you. You you obviously have a dark complexion. You blend right in with the South Sudanese Christians. And, <laughs> you know, you know, so I mean, what what inspires you? What inspired you to you know? I mean, Ukraine. I I get that. That's you know they're. You know, it, it's it's closer to home, but you know some of the other places that you've gone and some of the other places you're contemplating going. I mean, what inspires you to do that? I I mean, to you know bring truth to the world. Uh, to uh, you know, what? It's it's a mixture of things. I think the way I pick going to a nation is I start on Google Maps and I drop uh, the little icon to see on the street view. And if I find a nation with no street view, I think well what's there it's a whole different land that hasn't been documented to the degree of a, say a european nation or western nation and i started researching it and i can't find much about it like with south sudan and um let's say i know uh, north central island or stuff like that and i think this is an area that you know hasn't properly been explored by people that i can relate to and look into and i think it's a very british thing to go there and try and help out a little bit sometimes get a little bit of a thrill it's always going to be a part of it no matter what people say but it's only a small part and the other part is just innate curiosity i think um curiosity killed the cat absolutely (laughs) the cat has nine lives um so well i mean yeah i I know the british have had a great history of uh of of exploring officers back in the day of the napoleonic era and then the you know british india the raj you know exploring into afghanistan and and central asia the the what i call the pikistans all 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 the stan areas you know it's it's a remarkable thing i i i guess there's something in the water up out there in 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 merry old england i i, I don't hey, get hey, it. hey ron the, the only thing i can say is i'm going to give them you know an applause oh cause, definitely cause the yeah. option you know th- these are two young men that could be wearing a dress right now so <laughs> yeah um, well we're not I scottish think, <laughs> i think it's fucking awesome. <laughs> thank you Oh God! Yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I'm not. I'm not criticizing. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just. I'm trying to wrap my head around what you do because, you know, 
I mean, if if I were doing it, I'd like what Joe suggested, you know, the, the handcuff keys, and, and I would uh, put an extra um, stitching around my waistband of, of Kevlar line, uh, which makes it has a million mm -hmm. and one uses, um, and um, little uh, ceramic saws and things like that. I mean, all sorts of things to help get you out of those unwanted situations where you really didn't want to pay the uh, the traffic cop the fine type of thing. So I, I'm just again I'm just I don't know. I mean I thought I was pretty ballsy being a paramilitary officer in the agency and and doing stuff and working with your guys from the regiment and and uh, and things like that. But you know you guys I you know man you got it's, my respects. Yeah. Thank you. It's a weird thing because you, you see some of these people and when you look at Afghanistan, it's a 40% literacy race and you think, you know, why can't I go there and blend in, maybe pull some strings and maybe get lucky and go on an adventure and have stories to tell the rest of my life. I don't think I'm going to get to my deathbed, but say by some miracle, I'm sitting on the deathbed from old age and, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm not going to think, well, I completely regret going to all these beautiful unknown regions i wish i sat in my investment banking job doing 90 hours a week so i can get some sort of applause from some psychopath um higher up in the chain i honestly think this is the better way to live to some degree and if you have the risk tolerance and accept the possibility that you might die anytime it's completely fine um i i see a lot of people go to these areas and then completely become a little bit of a bitch if you, you excuse my language they start crying and they ball their eyes out and they just panic but if you actually have your stuff together i don't see why not it becomes slightly addictive almost in a good way yeah. because when you go bad when you go there too you can always hear a story and you can help some people out because you know a meal for a homeless person or a laptop uh, brought to a South Sudanese refugee camp or um, communication information to someone that you've just met in Afghanistan can honestly make a difference for them. And if you have a means to, if you're a morally good person, it doesn't hurt to actually help out some individuals. And I think it's a nice little triad between <clears throat> adventure, um, a little bit of a thrill, a little bit of journalism, and this is so sad. You're doing good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call you a journalist. I'd call you. I call you more of a, a documentarian. You, you're more of a. You, you're documenting what's going on and and. Um, but you know, my, my. So how do you communicate with these folks? Because I, I don't. I don't. I'm guessing you're not some sort of cunning linguist that that understands Pushtun and Dari and and uh, Ukrainian and Russian and everything else. So I mean. I mean, do you find somebody to help help translate for you that you you hire, or you just you know go with God? In in Ukraine, uh, believe it or not, most of the time, or some of the time, at all. So we must have gone through a hundred checkpoints at mm -hmm. least. And sometimes my Polish got it. Like near Lviv, everyone speaks Polish, it seems, or at least they were happy to hear when I spoke Polish to just let us through. Even though, like, my Polish is broken Polish. I don't speak Polish very well. <laughs> Uh, and then later on, uh, it turns out English, uh, they would go and they'd hear us speak English and then they'd go and find like their commanding officer or whatever their higher up was, you know, this like guy, he'd always have like glasses or something, probably like the most educated one of the lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
that he'd just speak English to us. <laughs> and his English like, was as good as your Polish? Yeah, probably. Uh, it seemed that way sometimes. But, like, yeah, sometimes it just, ah, English, come through. I don't care. I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> I, think, I think the best language you could speak in any area is basically good body language. As long as you act with confidence and make clear right. gestures and just act like you belong, you can get away with so much nowadays. Yeah, yeah. so, like, the checkpoints, I still have no idea what they were looking for, because only two of them asked us if we had guns. The first time they asked, Miles said, no, but are you selling? Uh, and then the second time, <laughs> I remembered him saying that, and I just laughed it off. <laughs> and then no, no one else said, We don't have any guns, but we're, we're carrying a, couple, a few cartons of cigarettes. Well, no, yeah. I got some guns oh, yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you go to Iraq with cigarettes, you can do anything. Um, well, I yeah. also, when I, when I got cornered by the Taliban, when Kabul fell, they wanted to speak to me, and they basically came up to me with a stern, troubled face, you know, because they've gone through all these years of wars and here's a white guy right there, take all their anger out. They go, passport, and I hand it over. And they go, you're British with this you know, stern voice. And I go, oh, yeah. no, 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 I'm I'm uh, occupied. I'm from Wales. And they go, Wales? I'm like, yes, yes, it's uh, next to England. And I put on a weird accent just so they can't really tell. And I go, it's next to England, but we're occupied by the English. And they go, Oh, so it's like one struggle, pretty much. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't know their geography. And um, I just pull it off and I go, we see Welsh, uh, United Kingdom, but, you know, we don't like the English, like uh, like um, Pakistan versus India. It's, I, I tried to explain it in terms they might understand, and I went on a little bit of a tangent. And they ended up smiling and patting me on the back and said, enjoy, enjoy Afghanistan. I walked off pretty much. It's not a big yeah. deal to Jedi mind trick the Taliban. They're not. Yeah, I, thought I, was, I thought I was a one-off. But a few times I would just walk up to Ukrainian soldiers and I'll be like, how's it going, guys? It's really bad up there. And just act like, you know, I've been in you know, the same situation because I have. And if you have so much confidence, most people just really jump on it um, and actually just accept you. Because I, I, that's really true. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a great psychology. That's the way we're, we're taught to behave as well when we go into situations like act like you I own the place. Spies. These two cats are spies. They're lying to us. Well, everybody I did get interrogated by the anti-terrorism police for three hours on my way to South Sudan at the UK airport. And I know they're all, all their tricks of body language and everything. So I just kept my hands in one place with, you know, uh, normal speech and everything. I kept everything regular. It was very transparent with them. Uh, they stepped out of the room and they were obviously watching me on the camera to see if there's a um, body language change. So I just kept everything neutral and consistent. They also um, you know, had a normal conversation at the beginning to create a baseline, see if I was lying later on so I knew how to play that. And I started gaslighting the anti-terrorism police. Like, um, they were searching my bag and they didn't find this. And I was like, oh, you missed that. That's really amateur of you guys. Didn't you... Uh, didn't you see that? Can't you see it's very clear? You can see the scene right there. You know, that can get people in a lot of trouble if you don't notice very important details. And they were just getting really pissed off because I kind of gave up a run around. It was great. He missed his flight for these shenanigans. Yeah. yeah the the yeah. counterterrorism police aren't known for their uh, their their sharp sticks. Probably your t shirt that says remember Bobby Sands wasn't a wasn't a good start. <laughs> you, know, you know, having Anti-terrorism police in South Sudan is a little bit silly. I'm no, this was, this was in the oh, UK, in Oh, in the UK so this, when you this, came back. Oh, I got you. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I pulled some strings um, at the South Sudanese airport too. So I just, I didn't want to basically find a place to get a PCR test done. So I just, I just um, Googled the nearest PCR test facility on Google. I went in MS Paint and changed my PDF. Uh, for my PCR tests, printed it out, and then the guy was like, "No, this does not look genuine. We did not have this." I'm like, "No, no, uh, brother, it's all fine." I spoke to, and I made up a person, and I was like, "I spoke to this person. He said it was fine. It went through, um, you know, the insurance, blah blah blah." And I created a story, and then at that point, he just didn't care and let me through. You can just do that with many <laughs> things. Yeah, it's a, a story. yeah, <laughs> it's a Sam High trick. You tell someone a story. And you make put so much emotion into it and so much depth that these people just can't be bothered to question it, and they just take it at face right. value. Yeah. And you yeah. get yeah, your I, way with it. I get it. It's a bull. It, yeah, I mean, I've I've done it a million times in a thousand different airports, but or entry points or whatever. But now my serious question is: so you've done all this wonderful travel off the beaten track, where where people normally from from your government, whether it's wales or scotland or whatever you know the united kingdom i'm but you know have, haven't really been to they 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 don't have any ground truth i mean have you been pulled aside for a a, a friendly interview not an antagonistic interview with you know mi6 or 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 british military intelligence or or something like that just a hey you know what's what's the what's what did you observe what's the scoop what what can you tell us that would augment or amplify what we're getting through our attaches or other reporting i mean has there have you ever had that yes he's a he's testing you yeah, he's testing yeah he's looking, I, did, I, did swallow, I did swallow my eyes did uh, change a little bit yeah. <laughs> the baseline was created all along <laughs> but, so you guys uh, do watch the behavior channel then Oh what? yeah, I, no. I I don't know what that is. So, someone in my family studies psychology, and I would always go to um, their lectures because they couldn't afford a babysitter. So I would <laughs> go to I would go to psychology classes from like twelve to fifteen. So I basically did a psychology degree, just sitting in the back and occasionally taking some random stuff in that helped me out till this day. But I haven't been pulled aside sadly. I kind of wish they would give me a job offer because I would truthfully accept it. Um, you know, screw it. I would. I would grass out some people. It's all fine. But um, I I have had some people from the US come up to me and said, oh, I, I work with this group of intelligence and I automatically say it's rubbish because obviously they won't tell me straight off the beat. Right. Um, there's a lot of people just you know, faking this whole thing. When I came back from South Sudan, um, I had one lady just go, oh, you know, um, Miles, you keep going to random places, um, her wording exactly. Um, tell us what happened. And I just gave her a story, very informal. She wrote everything down on a notepad, asked a lot about Uganda and South Sudan. So she was probably thinking, you know, um, right. with, yeah, with the terrorism going on there. Um, I did jump over the border from Kyrgyzstan to Kazakhstan during the protests. I just climbed over 4,000 uh, feet mountain um, off the whim and then came to a small village and then, climb back over which was dangerous but i really i really kind of think someone of the higher-ups doesn't like my youtube channel and just won't hire me at this point and i it would be nice to get their attention because i'd work right. for any well, but i'm sure that what you, like what, you, what you this is all academic and for educational purposes only so that uh, our good friend Lord Miles doesn't get arrested the next time. Oh, no, no, no. It is. I mean, I'm sure the things you put on your YouTube isn't everything you observe because you only have so much camera time and 
I mean, your, your camera's going to run out of film eventually, right? I'm sure I'm kidding, but I mean, you, you mm -hmm. only want to post so much. I mean, there's other things you observe and, and you think about afterwards and you go, Hmm, that makes sense. Or, Hmm, that was strange. Or that was what I, I, I'm just shocked. I mean, because you two guys would be the kind of person that I'd want to sit there and just pull aside for, you know, I'd buy you a couple beers and just, you know, say, hey, this is who I am. I work at the U.S. Embassy, and I just want to, I love your channel, and I want to learn a little bit more and, you know, go from yeah, there. I, so, I hope something like that would happen, truthfully. Because, um, you know, I, everywhere you go. Because <laughs> I, know, I know how the payment structure works, and sometimes it's very easy work to get a little bit of extra cash, and I wouldn't mind it. Um, and it's not like I would be, you know, setting myself up too badly because, I mean, look at my um, banner on Twitter. It's got photos of me in military uniform and guns in hand. I've ruined my non-combatant status if anyone captures me. Uh, there'll be a lot of questioning, so I might as well go all the way if I could. Um, you know, but sadly, I know I'm not a fed, not yet anyway. But uh, <laughs> we'll see if I put off my next trip or not. I'm sure that'll get someone's attention. Right. Um be very careful, because I, I really don't want my son to come have to rescue your ass. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. He can just airstrike me. It'll be fine. Uh, uh, yeah. He doesn't do I'll that. channel, so <laughs> maybe. Thank you. Well, you know, so I, I want to pull it back to Ukraine a, a little bit, because this is something I was thinking about um, earlier. Um, so you, in, in kind of being kind of in the, especially maybe in Kiev or Kharkiv, maybe, you know, in some of the bigger cities, how much lawlessness did you see? I mean, you already said that the crime is a kind of weird, honest sort of crime. Um, was there actual crime going on? Like, were there people that were doing things that, you know, they were trying to stay off the radar on? Um, and then we've also seen some of these people, you know, for various different reasons, mostly unpatriotic ones, get, uh, you know, cellophane taped to, uh, to, to, street polls and things like that. Did you observe any of that? And, and what was your kind of sense of the whole idea of lawlessness there? Yeah, so sadly, I didn't personally see anyone trapped to um, street polls, yeah. but I did see when I was on the train making friends with the Ukrainians, even though there was a language barrier, um, they showed me some photos for some group chats, and they were just laughing at the people that were just tied up in sub-zero weather for stealing and stuff like that. So there's a small community of people that would... Um, that would basically wait for a building to get obliterated. And then when the rescue crews were done getting people out, they would run in and say, take some belongings, some precious things oh, left over. I was about to say, yes, <laughs> some people, there's a huge community apparently called Gangstrap, Gangstrap, where they would take copper wiring and any precious metals in the walls and in the housing and then just keep it later in some warehouse to sell it on when the infrastructure's back up and make a ton of money out of it. Because there's a lot of opportunity out there for criminals. Um, the issue is most people can't walk around, uh, say, with front lines without getting stopped 50 times, which happened to me. Um, I tried to go in the bushes to actually take a piss, and my pants were down, and then I got jumped by Ukrainian forces. So that was a <laughs> lovely situation. Um, and I filmed it all, but my camera uh, got seized and yeah, deleted through. Um, Why were you filming yourself busy? It's just constantly filming to oh. my chest. It's not, it's not big enough to get in frame, I trust me. <laughs> um, but I, I did see some good justice going on. Um, a lot of people would 
freak out quite a bit um at the train station people start shoving and a few people was like punching one another just due to the stress of standing up and being packed together like sardines for several hours um but some people took charge and they realized well there's no police around we're going to enforce the law ourselves and people upheld that standard quite well um when people got out of control though in the, at the train station a child actually fell off the edge on the train tracks there was no trains coming but you know it was quite serious so a soldier started sh- uh, shooting warning shots into the air because that always solves things um and then eventually people did calm down and everyone got on the train it was just that um it was that social panic that happened where people would when it came down to it when they saw a way out they would just turn away from their fellow neighbour and just start pushing and shoving and punching one another just to get a spot on a train. Um, Like seeing that video there, those buildings were mostly broken into where someone would just punch and uh, slam a hole through the the shops and then pay for something. So there was always some elderly ladies waiting outside these hot spots just watching people break into these areas and then leave the money and the lady would just not when i was in the front lines with this other british guy who was also staying there living in ukraine um i walked into one of these shops about five different people stopped and started staring at me and i made it very clear that i was putting down a generous tip and just taking you know a can of coke and a bottle of water and then everyone started nodding and smiling at me um so it's become a kind of a um neighborhood watch type of situation when it comes to law well i i don't i don't know if it was this video here or a different one but i remember one where you just kind of walked into a little like a little convenience shop and and you know like you had some guy coming up to you asking you for for food or whatever yeah and you, you end up buying like some cookies or something like that and then you just gave him your cookies and then you were com- you were com- commenting oh i forgot to buy something for myself you know and so yeah. So one thing that I did that was incredibly stupid, I've got to admit. Um, but one thing I did that's stupid, um, I yeah. forgot my debit cards. So the only thing I had with me was my credit cards. But the only credit card that would work in a foreign nation, despite how many calls I meant for call center or why I did it in the uh, credit card app, it had a £200 limit on it, like uh, roughly $300 maybe. So I would max out every few days because I would have to pay for transportation, hotels, foods, and equipment I needed and then I'd wait have to wait five days for the payment to clear from my uh, current account um, through my bank so I was co- I was constantly cycling through um, very little money <clears throat> and when I bought those cookies I had I think it was the equivalent of about 40 cents left in my bank account so those cookies were going to get me through a day and a half maybe because I, I don't mind going without food I feel good sometimes fasting and then I realized when I gave those cookies to that homeless guy oh, I have no food for myself. So I went two and a half days without food, which was actually not too bad. I liked it. Well, you know, combat zones are not where you go without food, though. All right. That's why I brought so much the second time around. You know, we had plenty that time and enough water for, you know, everyone we could ever encounter. Yeah. We both... Uh, we bought fizzy water, and then when you wa- <laughs> you went to wash your face, and, uh, and then you washed it with fizzy water, so I burning your eyes, and like <laughs> it was a funny situation. 
you yeah. know, if 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 I can recommend, I mean, you know, you've you've got the the fun food here. I mean, I see that it looks, you know, it's you know that you can you can get by on this stuff, but definitely make sure you've got some like really dense fatty foods as well. Whenever any place you go, like so for Americans, right? The 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 go to for us is a jar of peanut butter, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm a peanut butter guy. I, I yeah. normally buy peanut butter by the five kilo bucket. You know, honestly, yeah. I don't mess around for peanut butter. Well, but but peanut butter is just great for you know high density energy. Um, you know, with and because of that fat, and your body really likes that stuff when you're when you're kind of in a caloric deficit. So, I mean, I recommend that you know if you, if you're gonna have some stuff, just make sure you have something like that as your kind of. Like if you only take one piece of food, you take that thing with you, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Well, that's what I'm planning to do in my next trip. Anyway, I'll be better with my diet. We did have um, some makeshift sandwiches, some cheese and some hams and meats. And uh, what else did we have? Um, we have a tiny bit of hummus. We, we but that, that's, most, that's just for us. I, I, you've got, you've <laughs> yeah. got your, your dark chocolate there. That's good. Yeah. Just some um, basic stuff. Um, we also have some protein bars too somewhere. Um just tons of that, water. That's also before we got because are the jerry cans in that picture? No, 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 they're not. So yeah, that was after that we then got jerry cans and stuff. That's not <laughs> all. Of it. Gasoline on top of the food. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, the car's no. not that big. <laughs> I like that it's you fun. guys are learning as you go, and you're you're definitely probably <laughs> uh, learning the hard way sometimes, and you know that that's what happens. I think that's a fun route. It builds a bit more character. If I go with every single piece of equipment I need, it just becomes really boring. And that's what's happened to the mainstream media. They just kind of go in, you know, five-star hotels of a Hilton and a war zone and get room service and all this other stuff. I know. I, I kind of want to experience a little bit of struggle because, honestly, I do enjoy this. Um, and Miles, well, hey, 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 man, don't yeah. stop. Keep at it. I fucking love it. Don't stop. It's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. This is Thank good you. stuff. And we you know, like what? What? A, so another kind of just gear th question is: How are you guys managing your batteries and and in getting power? Because, like you said, there's you know, there's a lot of times when people are just having trouble, you know, charging their phones and things like this. So clearly, you got GoPros, and uh, it looks like mostly GoPros and phones that you've been doing most of your shooting on. Um, what, how are you doing? I mean, do you have, do you have a computer with you too, or do you just have like, uh, the smaller cameras and stuff? Yeah. So I've got a Osmo action, which is basically a low voltage GoPro. It just works really well. And I've usually have two phones with me, an iPhone, but I'm, um, the cell student and then also my Android phone, which I'm filming this on. Um, I have a spreadsheet and Excel documents where it has, um, the output and everything of each device and what it requires over so capacity in milliamp hours. And then also my power banks and it's calculated in such a way where um, if I type in the numbers, it'll tell me how many days I can stay and what I can do reasonably based on my usage of the past in these expeditions. So I can know if I bring more or less power banks or if I need to bring a solar charger if it's a hot country. So I've got this 60 watt solar charger I used in South Sudan, which was a lifesaver, uh, universal yeah. plugs. I've got 50 backup uh, cables too. And I think I have around three power banks with about no, four power banks with 60,000 milliamp hours between it, like shown in there. Um, yeah. 
And one thing I always have is a small um, bare battery always left for my satellite device, my satellite navigator. Um, it's a Garmin inReach, so it works anywhere in the world. I have to pay the stupidly expensive subscription. I can get map updates, GPS, anywhere in the world. I can send texts anywhere, and most importantly, I can tweet from anywhere. So um, it's very useful when it when things get tough, especially if you're in remote areas. I've got the exact same thing, the inReach. Uh, good piece of kit. I mean, you guys, you guys have thought through some of this stuff. It's not just all free for all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once so you're in the car, like the car's got a charger. So after that, it was free flow. No, it didn't work. No, no, you used the USB and the um, radio. So yeah. we had no music a lot of the ride because just <laughs> no, we were charging. We were using the radio to charge my phone to play music because the, the radio couldn't play music at the same time. It was charging things. We should have just listened to you. Yeah, we, we just we should. Yeah, exactly. I don't think music we playing too often, though, I've got to admit. No, because, I don't know, you were sleeping a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was probably telling you too. <laughs> yeah, when we got back to the hotel, you slept for, like, ages. Um, it was like nine hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got that idea from a co-worker of mine. <laughs> yeah, tell the story. Uh, so, uh, we're... Uh, no, I probably shouldn't say it just because workplace yeah. stuff. I'll, 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 I'll tell the story of my co-worker, 100%. Uh, um, so there's a unspecified guy from another country, not England, um, and he went to work using one of these power motors. He flew into his workplace using one of these, um, <laughs> and he realized he bought it for, I think it was under $1,000. 800 i think 800 pounds uh roughly one thousand one hundred dollars maybe and he just flies in and out around the uh around the town uh dirt cheap because you can get 100 200 miles on one of these on a, um and you don't need a license for it you don't need a license as long as you're below a thousand feet you don't need a license so you just like buy it and use it and yeah. like you can die it it's easy to do that. Yeah. You don't yeah. need any training. As, but if you're in the air, no one can stop you. <laughs> she can go along with 17,000 meters, which is, it's difficult. You need a lot of training, of course, and you need the right conditions. But most likely, if you got good at one of these, you can definitely pull off strings. You can sneak into countries where borders just don't matter. Like, I um, I could sneak across the um, South Sudanese Kenyan border if I really wanted. It's it's yeah, not difficult for my sort. Yeah, I did the same. Well, I mean, I, w I wouldn't want you to dox yourself here, you know, but uh, it's a, it'll make it for an interesting story after you've done it, that's for sure. I oh, no, I openly dox myself because no, then no one can harm me. My address is 72 Valley Road, Loughborough, le 11 free qa I, I invite <laughs> someone to come to my door and try it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I love it, man. I yeah. See, that's that's the uh, that's the kind of spirit of adventure that is just lacking in, in so many people these days. Um, so, talking about South Sudan, I mean, I, that's another interesting place because you know, what's one of the places we haven't even really talked about too much on this channel? You know, Africa is definitely kind of uh, up and coming in the uh, in the in the future conflict realm so what was your take on south sudan and and you know i'd be interested to hear where you think that's headed south sudan's a different world from when i first arrived so the only airport in the capital of tuba it's uh, it's not properly paved it's just a dirt airport with a small warehouse building uh, no air conditioning no wi-fi obviously it was very bare bones so when you got down um 
people were just swarming after one another, people just grabbing random bags, and I saw people getting arrested right front of my eyes um, about 10 minutes after getting in. Um, when I walked around the city um, in daylight, I walked for about 10 minutes, and then I was in the complete countryside. So the city was completely tiny, um, and most of South Sudan has no infrastructure whatsoever there's about two roads that connect the north from the south um and the only trade that goes on is mostly between uganda and kenya which is next to the south of juba you could honestly go into south sudan if you survive all the poisonous animals and claim i would say 50 good acres of land in the northern areas and set up your own little kingdom and no one would bother you it's incredibly remote and it's incredibly dangerous but you know, it's, it's like the Wild West. It has a weird appeal to it. Um, it's not like Africa in the traditional sense, East Africa, where everyone does speak English there, but everyone's very nationalistic and they completely despise white people most of the time. And if they don't despise white people, they might want to get something out of you. If you go to, say, Kenya, people just beg you for money. And then if you say no, they'll leave you alone. If you go to South Sudan, um, they'll just straight up shoot you. There's loads of stories of people going from Juba to Uganda on that one road and then people getting shot, like white nuns and everything. Uh, it happens weekly. Um, a lot of people get taken hostage and everything. Um, it's a very bizarre place. And one thing I found as well, it's stunningly beautiful for what it is. Um, if there's one country that would benefit a lot from tourism, it's South Sudan. Um, but there's just nothing there. There's no infrastructure whatsoever. Um, they just about got a 4G tower. Um, so people have just been able to get on the internet. Um, I went to this one cafe that was very nice, but they've got this weird inner conflict when I was speaking to them. So they want people to come over and help them. But at the same time, they've got this small complex where if you say you're going there to help them, they kind of roll their eyes and they say uh, South Sudan doesn't need any help when most of the entire country is below the poverty line. It's being held up entirely by um, the WHO and UN supplying free food and everything. Um, so if you if you go there, they might call you a white savior or something like that. But at the same time, um, you walk ten minutes and you come across malnutrition. I've seen uh, one body. Um, that was put on the back of a motorcycle and then the guy was riding with a dead body for a good eight hours to get back to the village to deliver him and I was in the city centre um, so it's 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 really lawless to some degree. I came across this one dog that was about five minutes from the airport so you know, dead city centre, the richest area of South Sudan and I wanted to buy the dog some meat so um, it, was, it was only a puppy so I went and bought some meat, I came back and the dog wouldn't respond to any noise. So I laid my hand on it, stone cold. The dog had died um, mid-center, mid-city center. I started walking yeah. around at night too, and there was no streetlights whatsoever. It was almost complete uh, pitch blackness. Um, and I, I did notice some people following me, and I managed to obviously um, turn a corner and start sprinting and get into a safe area and then into my hotel. Um, but it's not a place to be taken lightly, but... I think if you've been to some areas in Africa, South Sudan is definitely a place that needs to be, I don't know, explored to some degree. Um, if you drop the little yellow man on Google Maps too, you can't come across anything. Um, 
And if you go across a uh, city or town that's, you know, not Juba, not the capital, you can't find any pictures of it anywhere. And then if you go on Google satellite maps and you look, a town there is actually three mud huts in the middle of nowhere. Um, but people are incredibly inviting too. Um, their currency isn't completely inflated, even though they do have some issues with that. I would say I am banned from South Sudan, I believe. Um, I can't go back, but if I could, I honestly would. Is there any place else in Africa that's kind of, you know, you're, you're curious about? I do want to go to Somalia. Um, I want to see <laughs> – I'm seeing a reaction there. I'll just I've got... send you a T-shirt, bro. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I've seen I've seen Captain uh, Captain Phillips, um, <laughs> but um, Black Hawk Down. Yeah, I, I, am, well. I am the hostage now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I I want to see the whole piracy thing going on there. <laughs> I know it's died down. You, hey, Sunday morning for the. Sorry, I think he had a conversation going. Go ahead. Yeah, um, another place I'm interested in. Um, I was spent some time in Tanzania. I would honestly say I want to live there to some degree. Um, it's that little area where you've got enough luxuries where you would want to live there and things are dirt cheap. But at the same time, it's it's beautiful and there's lots of opportunities there if you're a foreigner who just wants to settle down. Um, I've also got invited to the DRC. Um, a gentleman emailed me some months back going, um, we want to help out some um some animals in the DRC from poachers and they're willing to meet with you to discuss certain um, territorial disputes so you can get the word out. So I was very tempted there. And one place I also want to go to is um, it's the country below Western Sahara. How would you pronounce that, do you think? Um, Mauritania. Mauritania, yes. Mauritania. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to embarrass myself too much. Um, there's the Eye of the Sahara. Um, so one of the plans that I do have, uh, I don't mind saying this out loud because, you know, no one's going to discover this um, and then snitch on me, hopefully. Um, in the eye of the Sahara, I want to basically erect a giant cross or leave a mark there um, just for fun. It's it's one area where it's just a country that's mostly desert with no real control, no borders, where you can just pretty much do anything. And that's a small calling to me. It's like the Wild West, like I was saying before. And that brings me on to Libya. Libya is one of the most interesting countries to me because just like Iraq, if you go through the south, you can pay someone a packet of cigarettes and get let in. But at the same time, if you get found, you get completely uh, imprisoned for many years. And I take it as a personal challenge because Libya has no tourism visa um, and the business visa is notoriously difficult to get for outsiders. So it's kind of got a small calling to me. Um, I really do want to visit because... Truthfully, well, it's, it's beautiful. It, it, you know, the real trick is going back and forth between the LNR and GNR, you know, locations, right? Absolutely, yes. Um, I just and want to visit. By the way, by the way Libya is another country that that is on our list of countries to talk about that uh, that we haven't got to yet here, here on this channel, but uh, that you know, definitely that would be interesting. Yeah, it's so sad what happened there recently, but. Um, you know, I think it's going to build back into a strong nation, hopefully. Um, but if I if I ever plan to go, I'll let you guys know, and we can maybe live stream from there and probably get arrested. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Yeah, no, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic, especially if you get arrested. Hmm. One thing I found in these African nations too um, 
is they they completely despise filming because if you film there, they they believe that you're stealing their souls uh, by taking their photographs. Um, so, it, Atlantis in the yeah, um, that's um, the so, so that's the thing with South Sudan. You can't film that permit. The permit's almost impossible to get about bribes, and you just can't get there with the permit. But even if you do get the permit, no one wants you to film and they become aggressive if you point a camera at them. So you've got to get sneaky with the footage taking and it becomes a whole mess. Stolen all their souls yeah. without them knowing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I took one satellite well, image and boom, the souls have been collected. Yeah. First so satellite so, picture stole everyone's souls. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to get ID photos. Oh, you know. <laughs> my soul is in my driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> so Cheryl Mean for 999 says, What does your family think of your adventures? I'm a grandmother and thinking, and I think I'd be freaking out. Yeah, to be honest, um, the good thing is with me, um, and for A Feds watching, this is this is a good advantage if you want to recruit me. Um, I'm thankfully estranged from my family, um, just because they have a lot of issues and I decided they need some time to sort some stuff out. So at 18, I was homeless for a few months before passing my exams again to university. And then from there, I haven't had any contact with my family for a good four, four and a half years, maybe at this point. Um, <clears throat> so thankfully, um, I look after myself. And if something happens to me, that's completely on me. And there's not too much um, too much baggage. I'll come with um, something going wrong. So if I die, I think the biggest issue would be... Um, mean roman so i think you'd miss me right uh, yeah <laughs> yeah but good thing is with my family um you know it's not an issue for me if i did however create my own family which i'm hoping to do one day uh you know i would reconsider doing any of these trips and probably stop uh but until then i can only be encouraged no yeah it's uh, definitely i mean you know when, when you're in a, a a place a war zone and whatnot you know i'm sure you find yourself you know, if you're communicating with people that you love, it's like, you know how you know how dangerous it is on a regular basis. But of course, you always downplay that to, to people. Uh, oh, it's not that bad, you know, or yeah, it wasn't that kind of a I mean, you know, clearly you're telling the world your story through YouTube. But, you know, there are those private conversations where I'm sure you're you downplay some of the risk. A little bit, yeah. Um, I remember telling Roman about my next upcoming trip, and I asked, "Oh, could you meet me in this country when I, you know, jump across the border and do this little maneuver?" And you, you said, "Mars, it's ISIS territory. No, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I think I think my risk assessment um, is broken. Yeah, it's sometimes. completely broken. Yeah. Um, I think I think though, um, people do over become over cautious, but to be honest, probably. That's I think Miles has reached the point where he's under-cautious. I think uh, getting away with it too many times has kind of just made you complacent. Yeah. I mean, if you've <laughs> seen the movie and read the, um, the stories of Lawrence of Arabia, um, he got to the point where he became almost like um, a bit narcissistic with things yeah. and he believed almost he could get killed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and I'm kind of aware that could become of me, and I hope not, but at the same time, I'm fully accepting the possibility that I have to stay in some sort of gloomy hole for two years, eating the same meal over and over again. Um, but it's 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 Afghani food. It's not British food, so it'll be great. You know. Yeah, if I went back to Afghanistan, <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be an adventure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe the beer will even be cold this time. 
economy of uh, you know the prison in Afghanistan, I think, is far better than uh, anything you'll find in England. Yeah, exactly. I just uh, hope we have good Wi-Fi. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, was a tweet up just a second ago of of of, of Lord Miles saying, "Here, right here, this one. I am surrounded by Ukrainian military female officers. I need to know: are there any photos of this?" <laughs> Unfortunately, not. No. So I was filming everything oh, on my GoPro. See, this is what happened. This really pissed me off. So when I was filming, um, so this is what happened. When I was walking back from the front lines, curfew happened and I couldn't get a ride back. I was kind of screwed because I was out of the open. You know, everyone presumed I was a spy. And that's why I got interrogated. But as I started filming the events going on, the GoPro was strapped to my shoulder. Um, they just took it off me every once in a while and deleted footage. And I couldn't sneak any footage. The only footage I could take was photos I took. Whilst, um, whilst around, because I was constantly being watched. Someone was always behind my back, someone was always in front of me. So what I've done for the next upcoming trip, I've got a watch that, it, it acts like a small watch, but it has a hidden camera in. Yeah, I got and some you, I can send you. I've got a bunch of pens that are cameras, man. You need something. Oh, amazing stuff. This one, it's oh. got no external usb in within the watch it only works for a special app you have to type in a code to send everything across so it's incredibly useful so i'm going to be able to get some good footage but if ukraine they're very good with um cracking down on certain things um so yes. if you film too much they will delete it just a camera um, pen uh yeah. in your pocket and it films everywhere you go Ooh. um so uh, for your, you know, these these are actually all good uh, ideas for your next trip, which uh, I think Mr. Scott uh, J87 for two dollars says, uh, would you like to go to the Badlands of South Dakota? That sounds terrible. I mean, that was that area. I mean, I don't know. I don't I've never been there. So the Badlands, that doesn't sound good. Ron, oh, you live good. in the Badlands of South, South Dakota. No, I do not. I live outside of Deadwood and the Badlands aren't that bad. Good Lord. You guys, you make it. But it you make it bad. It, it's it right there in the name, Ron. It says bad. I, it's just, not good. I I want to <laughs> hear about if stuff like you being a famous Wakaliwood uh, uh, superstar villain um, has affected your travels at all, or or has 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 your fame online made it easier or 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 harder to get around. Oh, a lot easier. So when I was um, when I was trying to get past some checkpoints and front lines, um, I would always just show you know the uh, the Photoshop press badge, and they would look at it, and obviously I put together the last minute, very last minute, and they were like, oh, you know, what organization? I haven't heard of this, and I just show them my Twitter followers. I show them like, oh, look, uh, 60k, 100k people, and they just assume, oh, big news, this guy, and he let you through. So there's some sort of privilege that comes with it, which is really handy. And of course, you play the part and people kind of have this idea that you can get their story out for them. And sometimes you actually can, which is great. Um, but it does depend on a person. Sometimes there's some resentment if you're famous. So you kind of have to read the person beforehand and you slowly drip feed them information. And then from there, you can kind of, I don't want to say manipulate, but, you know, pull strings where, where it's needed so you can get what you need, really. <laughs> Have you considered getting one of those kind of like the little instant cameras with that you can pull the pictures out of for the, uh, you know, kind of for the the selfie and then you can give the pictures to the people? I mean, that's one of the things that uh, we had a guy doing that in Afghanistan and the, and the Afghans ate that up. I mean, he became the most popular guy in the village every time he showed up. 
Oh, I haven't, no, but I like that idea, actually. It has that yeah. kind of um, sentiment to it that right. digital photos still have. I'm going to write that down. Thank you. I'm going to do that <laughs> next time. They're heavy. They're big. Yeah, I know, but well, you can get the, those the, um, modern yeah, the, ones. The newer, yeah, the new, one, the new ones are pretty damn small. I mean, you could put them into a, a pocket or something like that. Mm. I mean, they don't there have as a, many pictures in it, but... There is a story of one man in Kandahar in Afghanistan where he's got a camera that's over 80 years old, one of those where you go underneath a veil and you have yeah. to you know, mess around all this. And I want to meet that man and possibly, you know, show him this instant camera and just kind of show off a little bit. I'm joking. But, uh, <laughs> and he's say, yeah, but yours is going to run at a battery by yeah. the end of the day. Yeah, he'll just, mine has been working yeah. for 80 years. Yeah, so just, I'll take, I'll keep mine, thanks. Yeah, he'll just call ISIS KO and have me beheaded on my <laughs> <laughs> But well, you know, you know yeah, definitely, you know, Jalalabad, that's, that's one of those, you know, so if you're, well, you know, you were in Kandahar, okay, so I was going to say Jalalabad's one of those ISIS-K areas, so. Yeah, exactly, or um, the, it's always the border right next to Pakistan, so they can jump over through the, I think it was 255 crossings, and then they can just resupply and head back in, and that's why, you know, the evasion of Afghanistan always fails, because of external uh, influence and help. Um, like yeah, that was my press badge right there. Um, it had a QR code, and if you scanned it, it would just say the word press <laughs> and nothing else. Um, all you, put together last minute. You know, I, had, I, I, I was going to ask you about like what's next and that kind of thing. I and mean, we talked a little bit uh, before the show started, but um, you know, one of the things I would like to say is that like don't go to China. Mm. I'll yeah, talk about that yeah. after the show. Okay. <laughs> All right, Ron, what, what do you got? Well, I got a question. So you go on these wonderful adventures and you do a, <clears throat> you know, depending on, you know, Roman's assessment, you do some sort of risk risk assessment type of thing. But and and <laughs> and, and, and you're estranged from your family and 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 everything. Like, but so you, you're going to go on a trip to country X. Um, do you provide anybody who's back home or, or someplace uh, safe with a, a rough itinerary, like I'm going to enter country X between day one and day 10. And I expect to exit country X on day, whatever to whatever. And so if you get thrown into a deep, dark hole for probably longer than a couple of years, I mean, who's going to know who's going to miss you? How are we going to find out that you're being held? How can you know your your country make inquiries to figure out your status uh how okay. can they negotiate for your release i mean what what's your what's your you know oh shit everything's gone to hell plan do you guys see my photo right there um so, yeah, yeah you right see there. that you see my hairline's completely different despite the fact that it came out a few weeks ago um so what I did, that's actually a wig, by the way. So I shave my head and I stick it on. And underneath, I hide an Apple AirTag and also one of the Android equivalents. And then from there, I can basically track my movements um, from any place, as long as there's someone nearby with a smartphone. And people will always know where I am and no one ever checks their hair. So if I want to sneak out footage, I can just stick SD cards in a little uh, waterproof bag underneath my hair and just get through, no issue. No yeah. one's ever going to rip but, no, but some of the places you're talking about traveling, your your future endeavors, you know, Mauritania, Libya, it, it's not exactly they got four and five G cell coverage throughout the country. I mean, you're 
I mean, I'm I'm guessing yeah. you know, I mean, what we have in the military. What we have in the military is a pace plan. You know, you got a primary and alternate contingency and an emergency communications plan. I mean, yeah. do you have anything like like that that you, you know, besides okay. using using wonderful Western technology? So yeah. this thing here, I I paid a pretty penny for this. It's disguised as a um a car. Uh, what's it called? Car uh, keys. Yeah, car keys. But it's actually. Um, it should work with uh, 2G towers. It sends your location roughly. If I press it three times, it'll send my location live until it runs out of battery to my contacts. Um, okay. And they, they said online it should work with some very basic satellites, but I, I doubt it. Um, I do have I do have a latex document where I do go in latex and I write out 100 plus pages like I've done for my next upcoming trip saying day one I want to go here this is where I expect to go the other day this is the uncertainty okay. in these yep. areas this is where things might go wrong this is my options these are my contacts um, I do uh, whole, uh, comprehensive risk assessment I split into yeah. different categories and so on comprehensive it's comprehensive like for example <laughs> my next upcoming trip um you know, I, I spend you know, several hours looking on Google Maps and several other things, picking apart every single checkpoint and cross-referencing it for my guy who works, um, you know, high up in uh, some security and uh, ge uh, geographical analysis. And I managed to identify most checkpoints, uh, military checkpoints that I shouldn't be able to get a hold on. So despite the persona that I'm all... Uh, you know, a goofy fellow just going off on a whim. There was a lot of thinking and thought that go on behind this, and I think that's how I survive each time. Um, even though there's well, the issue that I don't know the language, I I do plan it out to some degree. But no, at the I end mean, of the day, there's always... Sorry. The the thing I like is that you're clearly no dummy, right? I mean, you do have this kind of fun-loving, kind of happy-go-lucky air about you on... Uh, on YouTube, but in talking with you, clearly you've got, you've, you've done your homework. Um, you know, that being said, there's always something that you overlook. Right. And I think, you know, from like, I know I was kind of asking myself the same questions that Ron asked you. So I think from the standpoint of, of, of the way our thought process is, you know, please don't think of this as, you know, we're criticizing how you do your business and because you're the one doing the business and clearly you've been successful. Uh, we're just trying to, I think, think of other things maybe to help that maybe you haven't Absolutely. thought of. But it sounds like you have. I mean, it sounds like no, you've got some I mean, plans. I know a guy who looks a lot like me who works for people who set up extraction plans for guys like you. I mean, I'm just saying. So, <laughs> no, that's not a joke. <laughs> there you go, Miles. Yeah. You're um, way more reckless yeah. now because you know this yeah, guy exactly. like him looking out for people yeah. like you. insurance like <laughs> Uh, no, but like for real, like when Miles goes to these places, I think like he'll he called me from I don't even know where in Africa sometimes, and like he calls me when I'm at work. So then people just kind of gather around, like, oh hey, that's like you know Kenya or something. <laughs> it's like, you know, live footage of some place in Africa that Miles managed to get Wi-Fi, <laughs> yeah. or uh, I think it was. Uh, especially even in Afghanistan, it's like that's the first call in my life. I thought, like Miles called me on WhatsApp, and I just thought, yep, someone, maybe several people are listening into this call just because of where it's coming from. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the app being used, right? 
So. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, I know everyone says, "Oh, you have to use you have to use a uh, X Y Z app." It's it's really safe. The government can't track you to anything. But I guarantee everything I do has been listening to you on a slight level, where they're just logging things, keeping up up to date. Um, you know, when I walk through the airport to, um, you know, to go to the uh, go through the gates and checkpoints and everything, um. I sat down in a very crowded area and the anti-terrorism police came straight up to me. So they were watching me off the cameras for 10 minutes to see what I was doing, weird behavior. I was visiting the bathroom and so on. And all these small things, all these small calculations and niches and behaviors, I I try to take into account. And people are so predictable. I feel like sometimes I can just pull these strings and get away with it. Um, but we'll see um, how far I can push it anyway. It's like I've got the Taliban on WhatsApp, of all things. I message them occasionally um, talking about, you know, how I can help their nation if I um, go there again and um, speak about how I can show off certain regions and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I feel like for what I lack in planning or preparation or equipment or funding, I can make up in just seeing what people really want and what they want to hear and just say it to them um, in a situation that's life or death and pull the strings I need and then give them that you know, power dynamic that would suit the situation and get out and maybe make a friend along the way. I, I got to say something here. I, I'm, you know, I've been listening and I admire your, <coughs> your adventurism, but you realize and I've done this multiple times that you're gallivanting to these countries, these, these off, off the book places and you get thrown in that hole and somehow people get wind of it. And you, you know, and your country or my country or some other country is going to, going to try to rescue you through, through military action. You realize that your lackadaisical attitude towards all this is endangering other people's lives. And I've been involved in missions where people have gotten killed trying to rescue people who, oh, I'm a nurse. They won't hurt me. I'm going to go in and do my good little deed for the day. And yeah, yeah that's Panama. so we, we lost guys getting a reporter out of the jail in Panama. You're right. Yeah. And we, we lost people in Somalia. I lost people in Afghanistan. I've lost people in the Southern Philippines. So what I'm telling you is that it's all well and good and it's all fun and games on YouTube and everything like that. But you're playing a real game here and, you know, and your gift of gab and your, and your wonderful psychology and assessment of your fellow human beings. One day you're going to find the motherfucker that ain't playing and he's going to fucking blow you away or he's going to put you in, in some dark hole in Kandahar or Kabul or, you know, pick, pick your shithole of the world. And by the time people find out about it and we mount a rescue to attack, to get you out and people get hurt and killed, Dude, you know you better you better fucking be a monk after that because you're gonna pay so much penance. I mean, so I'm just what I'm saying here is that it's well and good, but you you don't seem to have a fucking care in the world about this shit, and it's it's really starting to piss me off. You know, I mean, you want to put a cross in Mauritania? Okay, let's see what's the religion of Mauritania? Oh, it's Islam, dude. Why don't you just go fucking to Mecca and and pee on 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 the on the you know on the Kabbalah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, good lord, dude. I mean, I mean, think. I mean, come on. You've been to. You've been. You've. You've. You've been to university. I mean, come on. Engage your brain a little bit. You know. 
Roman, I'm so please, I'll give you $10 if you beat the I'm shit out of him right now. And we'll respond to that. How about that? So yeah. with these things as well, there's a lot of things going up the background that do make planning. And no matter what I say, you always say, you know, there's always something that I can't prepare for. And obviously I'm just a one-man team. But I'm hoping to get to the point where I progress so much in the skills I pick up, public and not public, that I can actually do this professionally and actually get the uh, get noticed by some organization or possibly government and possibly uh, be able to work with these people and actually get the training I need. But at the moment, I'm just trying to bridge the gap and actually so, get myself going. So, so to Ron's point, I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, while I, I won't uh, be as heated as Ron, but I mean, Ron's got a good point. I mean, you know, the, you, there is a responsibility there. Um, that being said, I mean, had, what kind of training have you had? Uh, I mean, you may not want to get into too much, but, as far as the details, but have you had like, you know, hostile environment training and, and things like this, as far as like how to handle, like if the guy walk, comes into your hotel room and starts shooting into the ceiling, I mean, what, you know, what do you do? I mean, have you, have you had that kind of training? I've had some people with a lot of experience walking through quite a bit of things. Um, no, no professional qualifications, no advanced driving courses or anything like that. Yeah. But I've had some people who have been in some, very terrible situations who have made out of the situations you've described and have given me very comprehensive teachings to the point where I think it would help massively. And at the same time too, um, the person who was in Afghanistan with me, the SAS, uh, you know, the British Special Forces, he comments on my Twitter every single time a, um, a reporter calls me, uh, say, reckless. And he says, no, actually quite contradictory. Uh, Sorry, quite the opposite. Um, I spend you know a few days with Miles. I like what he does, and now those SAS people unofficially follow me on Twitter. They like what I do, and truthfully, I hope no one comes to save me if something goes wrong. And truthfully, I won't deserve it. But at the same time, Maybe it hasn't happened. Roman, a uh, a security driving course would probably yeah. be well. Starting- to be honest, I made that offer to them privately beforehand is they have a friend who does that instruction professionally and, and, and it's on a private course. So you wouldn't need to worry about whether you have a driver's license or not. Is that that offers open North Carolina. It, it is. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think that's a, that's good advice and maybe we can talk some more once we get, come off the air. Um, yeah. So we're, we're getting kind of close to the end of our time here, uh, and I want to I want to thank you for for hanging around with us and and taking the slings and arrows of of uh, of our of our crew because you know we you know we definitely have a different take on the world than than you have and and it's not that we don't appreciate your view it's just you know we've seen the worst of the world in a lot of places and you know we don't want you to have to experience that necessarily firsthand through, uh, you know, a bad experience. You know, the, the one thing we had when we were in dangerous places uh, was a hell of a lot of uh, backing uh, from Uncle Sugar. Uh, and, you know, we none of us went anywhere uh, solo. I don't know, Rod, or he, he might have been uh, alone and unafraid at times. Uh, but I know I never was. I know Joe probably never was. Joe was uh, the guy who had to go and get people who... <laughs> So, right. So, so we, you know, we, we, you know, we kind of had a, had that extra insurance policy that you're never going to have on, on these adventures. So we just hope you don't have to need it. 
Um, that being said, the one thing I would suggest that my, my request for you as places to put on your list of places to go, I wanted to see you go to a lot of the spots in Zimbabwe, you know, like, especially the, yeah, like the, you know, the colonial stuff and just to kind of like, uh, do a, a then versus now kind of, uh, thing. And, you know, there's a lot of British history in, uh, in that part of the world. So, uh, hey, uh very interesting. I love absolutely. Hey, Miles, Roman, yes. um, uh, first thing I'd say is is uh, uh, I, I do admire what you're doing, but but I also yeah. know men like Ron. Um, I understand his passion. I, I think I've gone down kind of the same road. Uh, so it, it's it's not something to be taken lightly and joking. You, you said you got the the outreach Garmin. That's that's probably good. I think Dietica also said it an EPIRB or personal locator beacon, as long as it, uh, you know, hits satellites in the region that you're in. I mean, I've got an ACR, for example, and I know that works in North America. I don't know if that would be of any use in Africa. So you could research that. The point is, you know, some redundancy in uh, all these little systems, and you've already talked about your battery type situation and shit like that. So it's, it's just another thing to manage, but it, it it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt. And as far as some of the uh, you know the adventure uh, stuff you're doing, the, the, you know there's a whole lot of stuff out there that you're not putting yourself at risk being put in a in an orange jumpsuit. Ron, yeah. you know who you know what we could do to keep him safe, Joe. You could take him on a guided tour of Detroit. That's more dangerous than like half the places. Oh, I would I wouldn't go to Detroit. That's oh dear, it, no, no, awesome. no, 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 no. I, I, I have common sense. Now. <laughs> yeah, you will that's not be able Joe to tell the difference between Dearborn and Baghdad. Come on, bro. I got you. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Joe will keep you safe. And, and, Thank you. And, 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 I always, and, and I always, Ron, Ron was being very kind. Uh, the people that he's afraid that you might meet are, are not yeah. going to be. So it's just, you know. And, and you know, I want to piggyback on what Ron said. Is It's not that we don't. I think what you're doing is great. But you do need to pay a little more attention to planning because it's dangerous. I want your story to get out. I want you to get other people's stories out. And that's yeah. the important thing. But let's just do it smart. And uh, we, I, we'd love to hear more from you in the future. Yeah, you. definitely. You know, afterwards, after the show, I'll talk about this document I've got. It's a hundred plus pages of uh, small fonts, PDF with numerous diagrams and stuff like that for my next upcoming trip. It's been months of work, and I've spoken to people I can't mention, of course, that have helped me out with this, doing similar operations in the region that you know, the area I'm going to. And I've always wanted to join the UK Army. At the same time, I wouldn't get security clearance to do it. So, sadly, I have to go on my own. Um, I have to go on my own little streak, I guess. There, there's a there's an outfit in France that will always take guys like you. Well, and I wonder, <laughs> you know, there's a friend of the show that I wonder if you'd benefit from their services. Um, uh, I'm trying to uh, the the info site. The 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 guys come on all the time. I'm I am brain farting. You're, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Just type it in the uh, private Ford chat. Observer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Ford Observer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I bet I, you know, I'm, I'm glad Max isn't on because I don't think he would be as kind as Ron uh, would have been. To oh, you there. Yeah, Max. <laughs> I know he'd tear me apart. I'm I'm well, you guys all know I'm terrible with names. No, that's um, not what we're talking about talking about the lecture. 
So, so, so real quick, let's, um, let's kind of end this on a, on a high note. We, yeah, like, I think like everybody here, you know, we're really just worried about you when you get out in these places. So um, definitely we're looking forward to your next adventure. Um, we're, we'll definitely, we hope you'll uh, consider coming back and talking to our audience. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And, uh, you know, the, your, your, your heart is in the right place. And, and let's see if we can uh, elevate your education, you know, and, and as a group, I think we'll be we'd be willing to help out. We've got a, a, a lot of experience here uh, that you can tap into. So definitely looking forward to what's happening next. Um, real quick, is there anything else that you want to kind of plug or uh, let's see, can, yeah, bring up his his. Uh... <coughs> So we've got your GoFundMe up on the screen. Um, you want to just kind of talk about this real quick so that people yeah, understand cool. what it's so for? This is for the much-rumored upcoming big trip. Uh, it's going to cost a lot of money, but at the same time, the results will be worth it. Even if you don't want to donate now, just wait for the results. And if I make it out and the objective is complete, um, you know, I think it'll be worth a donation then. Everything's going to be documented. I've got the hidden camera like I spoke about and the contacts to make it happen. So, um I think it'll be if it does work out, it'll be um, I think it'll be something overwhelmingly good. And personally, I think it's worth a risk, but we'll have to see anyway. Um, but it's going towards uh, flights, possible bribe money, um, all the other stuff that adds up, really. It's becoming oh, quite all expensive. The fake, all the fake Rolexes. Exactly. Yeah, so many. I've just got them rolling down my arm in one go. Um, but. You know, I'm not going to hint at this too much, but uh, you can't put a price on a life. And I'm not talking about my own when it comes to this trip. Right. No, absolutely. Gotcha. Um, all right. So uh, let's go down the, 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 the line real quick. Ron, where can they find you on, uh, on out there in the world? Uh, RonMuller.com. It's my campaign website. And um, I'm sure Watcher will figure out how to put. There's my Twitter page. There we go. So and and there and you'll find my America first um, racist misogynist um, pick your pick your acronym accordingly uh, tweets. So as I've been accused of by uh, the progressives, communists in this country. Sorry, I'm 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 still I'm still coming down from my ass my 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 you know doing doing an ass chewing. Sorry, you know, yeah. And I just want to say to, to Miles and Roman, you, you guys have been have been have been great guests, and I've been I've been a lousy host co-host, if you will, uh, for this, you know, but, you know, you guys have been great sports about this, and you've you've taken the the slings and arrows, and you've you've answered everything very, you know, very well. And I, I appreciate that. So um, thank you. I, you know, tip of the hat to y'all. Thanks. We all sort somewhere, bro. <laughs> Joe. Hey, you can find me at tactical wisdom.com with that article up there on how to verify information and make sure that what you're seeing is true. And I give all kinds of uh, preparedness tips with a little bit of a Christian slant to it. And if, if your name happens to be Miles or, or maybe Roman and you're out traveling the world, you can buy this book, the Baseline Training Manual, by me beforehand, which tells you everything you need to pack in your little bag to take with you uh, and how to make emergency plans to get out of there. Uh, and I have a whole bunch of books. And then there's this, this fancy little contact and notes notebook where you can just write all of your little plans in it. So 
pretty cool stuff. Um, you can find those at Amazon or at tactical-wisdom.com. Very good. Very good. Uh, Mike, where can the folks find you and, and what are you shilling this week? What am I shilling? Which of your 19 books? Uh, there's only five. I, 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 I think Miles and Roman both would like them, but um, he'll show them eventually. I got I to gotta go to a different thing here. Um, I got a bunch of books. They're spy books. They're espionage. Uh, and, and I just wanted to pop off a little bit about just one. Um, I, got a, I got a review I'm pretty happy about. Uh, just to give the, the audience a general idea what some people think. And uh, the review says, you know, five star, an incredible tableau on par with anything written by Clancy. So I, I thought I felt nice. pretty, I felt pretty nice. chuffed about that. Very good. Uh, and then the other thing, um, I will be joining uh, Radioactive Redhead on, uh, on her channel uh, on YouTube on Thursday. Um, and she'll be, I'm just going to read the thing she gave me. <laughs> Join us over at Radio Radioactive Redhead Channel on Thursday for the debut reading of the third book in the series, my series. Uh, Radioactive Redhead uh, ran three successful pilot episodes just over a year ago. Yada, yada, yada. Bring fans and followers the best of uh, vintage life and modern problem solving. The more interest we have in these dynamic readings of the books, the more related content we will release. Head over to Radio Redhead. So, Radioactive Redhead. Um She's reading, uh, you know, excerpts, if you will, from, you know, a book a week, that sort of thing, you know, a couple chapters or a chapter. Uh, so that's that's moving towards um, uh, that's moving towards, um, you know, the audio books that some people have expressed an interest in. Uh, so this is the first kind of offering. She'll kind of act out, you know, the, the reading uh, and, and play it on her channel. Um, so she's looking for. For, for listeners, and, and of course I am too, so you, you'll be kind of hearing at least pieces of the book uh, or a given book. Uh, so it's kind of a new offering, if you will. And uh, it again, it's moving towards an audio book at some point. That's it. Thank you. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great. Watcher, anything we need to... Uh, hey, should we show the uh, audience our new kind of sting, the... Uh... Yeah, I'll pull it up in just a second. But the one thing I want to do is just real quick. I, I personally want to thank Roman and Miles. I yeah. am a nobody, okay. and I reached out to you on Twitter. I took an absolute shot in the dark in the middle of the night, and you guys very graciously accepted it. And I just want to say how personally grateful I am as a longtime fan of yours. I've been following your adventures since uh, uh, Afghanistan, and you guys are the best. I, I, I agree. We, we just want to make damn sure you come back. You know, yeah. it's all good well, I'm just grateful I, you guys having us on. Thank you for that. I, I think you guys are fucking awesome. I love yeah. it. But we want you to come back. And that's all I we're saying. So here is the uh, the animated logo sting that I made um, in conjunction with an artist that I paid. I, uh, I hope everybody <laughs> likes it. Oh, hold on. It's not open in the you... right window. See, I mean, it almost looks like a professional YouTube channel that we're running here now. I mean, almost. We're, we're going to lose our cred as, like, you know, as uh, plucky underdogs. Um, Who's all plucky right. here? Well, you know, you are, Joe. I mean, I thought you were the plucky. You're the, the definition. <laughs> I want uh, to point out to, to our viewers, it was not me today. 
so uh lord miles and roman hey we we want to say thank you for coming on uh like like watcher said we're nobodies in this youtube world i mean you guys have like tons of subscribers and tons of uh of followers and whatnot and so we really appreciate you with, with uh with blessing our channel well roman you just you're just you know you're another trip away from you know blowing up i mean you know especially that uh, hopefully not literally right um, but uh you know the one thing i will say and i think every one of i you know very rarely can i say uh that i speak for the entire panel what when i say but i know for a fact that when i say this that i'm speaking for everybody We'll definitely be praying for you on your next trip out there. I mean, you know, you have no idea really what you could run into. Um, you could hit, get hit by a bus, much less, a, you know, a landmine. Uh, so uh, just be careful out there. We're looking forward to having you back. And uh, thanks for having you on. Hey, if uh, if if this was a good show for you guys, uh, audience, please hit the like button. Um, I haven't even looked to see where we're at today, but uh, appreciate your guys' support. Um, definitely if you're, if you're new to the channel, please subscribe and hit the, hit the uh, bell for notifications. Um, we do this show every Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, uh, Eastern standard time. Uh, and, uh, we do it here on the evenings, uh, in Saturday stateside. So we appreciate you guys all being here in the audience. Miles, uh, Roman, thanks for being here. Council, as always, you guys are, uh, much respected, uh, even though you're much maligned. Uh, on that note, uh, we'll go ahead and call it uh, uh, call it a day. Thank you very much, and uh, everybody stay safe.